have more balls, you can always just take a drop. I'm good. Got it. You may want to move. What? Where's the doctor? is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about season two episode eight the merge i mean collision here on post show recaps uh i'm josh wiggler joined here by mike bloom uh and much like mr echo uh we are uh we are we are here in the middle of the jungle carrying on our backs I don't know. I was going to say something, but it doesn't seem appropriate. It's okay, Josh. I know that obviously there's a lot going on. If we're the two cops in the patrol car right now, you are the Anne and Lucia beleaguered by a lot of understandable stuff going on right now. <laughs> and true to my name, I guess I'm Big Mike rocking the stash. Big Mike. Big Mike Bloom in the house. Oh, my God. Uh, Abraham Ford, a.k.a. Michael Cudlitz is the actor's true name. Uh, but great to see Big Mike in the in the ring. One of the great uh, background random characters of Lost. I think. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a good dude. We'll talk about him. Also, his name apparently is Michael Walton, which even before Anna Lucia would run into Michael, never would run into Walt. But I feel like those two names were in her life already before even realizing it. I now need a buddy cop comedy with Big Mike Walton and Walt Lloyd. <laughs> what is it like, Walton Walton? Yeah, Walton Walton. I think would be good. Uh, in the like, Lost universe, he's a barefoot. You know, he's a loose cannon cop. He's a psychic boy. Together, yeah. they're gonna take the town by storm. He can talk to polar bears. He is a bear. <laughs> so I guess what are they gonna? Maybe they'll be like animal cops. You know, like an yeah. Ace Ventura type of thing, so that Walt can specifically communicate ah, with animals. Ah, pet detectives. Yeah, no, I think that that I works. Like that. And in th- in this reboot, maybe Ace is uh, the the uh, like the angry sergeant. Yeah. Uh, at this point, like he's been promoted, he doesn't like being behind the desk, but now he's just like in that stage of retirement that he has to command. I like these that. Two Walton, Walton. You know, they they really break the boundaries. He takes their badges, throws them in a room, and says, "Do not go in there." Mike, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Uh, what <laughs> are we the doing here? To collision. <laughs> so no, that's bad. That's canceled. Too. All right, that's canceled. Uh, Whoops. Add it to add it to the list of things that are canceled. Uh, we are here talking lost season two episode eight collision, the one in which we learn so much more about Anna Lucia Cortez. Uh, and of course, this podcast typically comes out on Fridays, coming your way 
a little bit earlier. Uh, obviously, the world is in a, a, a very different place than it, than <laughs> than it was even last week, uh, and it could be. We record these on Tuesdays, maybe different, uh, way different on Friday. We just don't know. So we want to get this to you as quickly as humanly possible. We know a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are confused and lonely. Uh, and one of the things we really pride ourselves on here on Down the Hatch is this is a, a, a conduit for all of us to just escape for a little while, a couple hours, sometimes 17 hours per podcast. We've been known to go long. Uh, this time, I think we'll, we'll go a normal rate. Oh, we can't uh, go 17 hours on collision? We're not doing I don't our think jobs. So. I don't think that we've got that in us. But we just want to get this to you guys here as quickly as possible. And just right off the bat, checking in, making sure you're as okay as humanly possible. Please, we hope that you're staying safe, uh, that you're staying sane, that you are finding joy wherever you can find it. Uh, and if we are making your life even a little bit easier by bringing some lost into your ears, uh, it is making both Mike and I feel a little bit saner. Uh, so, so hopefully we're all, uh, accomplishing that, but without even hopefully, uh, we are all in this together. Uh, this, we, you know, we, we truly are in this situation where we are, we are down the hatch together now. Uh, and, uh, it is, it is a, a privilege that Mike and I do not take lightly that we are in this position to, to talk to you guys and, uh, you know, be something of a, of a soothing voice in the ear, hopefully, uh, for, for many of you as we're going through such a, such a strange time. Not to mention the fact, and you tweeted this out a couple days ago that, and just to backdate this for people who are binging this all in the future, this podcast is recording on March 17th, 2020. Uh, obviously, uh, as the world is in the middle of a global pandemic. Yes. Uh, and I know you tweeted this a couple of days ago that, you know, this is an opportunity. Obviously, people are catching up on television. And I'm assuming as such, talking about backdating this, that maybe some have binged lost in the time to sort of take their time, their mind and their time away. And yeah, I'll admit, this is a bit of a mixed episode overall. I think there are some really good things. I think there are some more interesting choices than really good things, I would say. But even watching certain parts, like particularly the last half of the episode, and particularly, particularly that the last act, it just like, it's a nice way to take your mind away and go to an island where it's weird to say that things are simpler, because things are infinitely complicated on the island, especially with the hatch being involved. But I, I relish this opportunity each and every week, and especially a week like this, where not only do we get the opportunity to go forth into the jungle, but hopefully you all listening do as well. No matter when you're listening, if you've binge lost during your own uh, period of self-isolation and decide to catch up on the podcast, sorry for that speed bump that was our five-hour Exodus podcast, <laughs> but we're happy to have you here regardless. All right, so let's get into it this week. Of course, it's Down the Hatch. You can always get your feedback into us, Down the Hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. And at postshowrecaps is our Twitter account. Um, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk about Collision. It's directed once again by, by veteran Lost director Stephen Williams. Uh, it is co-written by Javier Grio, Mark Swatch, and Leonard Dick. Uh, this is uh, JGM's final writing credit mm. on Lost. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit uh, in the other section when we get into feedback. Do you think he was like, all right, if Shannon's going, I'm going? <laughs> yeah, that was the sign. Yeah, you get that's, that's the line in the sand he drew. You get rid of Shannon, and I, you get rid of me. Uh, no, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, there's tons that you can read in, in his lost will and testament that he has written that we've referenced a bunch and we're constantly plugging into our show notes. So you could just click that and, and, uh, read his full story. If you haven't yet, now's a good opportunity to do that. Um, November 23rd, 2005 is when this episode originally aired. 
a long time ago in so many ways. Right. I mean, this is also a pre-Thanksgiving episode, which I mean, is centric around family in its dark, depraved way. So I guess, you know, this was uh, stuffed full of sadness, like a turkey stuffed full of stuffing, I suppose. Oh, my God. Uh, We've got a Down the Hatch series Bible entry this week. Comes our way from the great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell. Uh, And of course, we haven't done it yet. So it's Anna Lucia. This is our Anna Lucia Down the Hatch series Bible entry Let's see uh, how accurate it ultimately bears out to be. Outwardly strong, outspoken, and ruthless, Anna Lucia is the leader of the tail section survivors. However, Anna was not always so ruthless. In fact, before the crash, she was considered soft. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you break it into the Michelle Rodriguez, like, occasionally speaking in her New York accent of it all. Uh, soft. Uh, Anna joined the police force out of a genuine desire to help people and quickly rose to the rank of captain as a result of nepotism. Oh, well. <laughs> so far, so good. Why? Well, she's not a captain, though. <laughs> well, sure, 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 sure. But maybe some nepotism going on in this episode. Uh, the most adversity Anna ever experienced in her career was resentment from her partner, Big Mike. However, when fellow survivors begin to vanish on day one, Anna is forced to bury her softer side and use every skill that being a cop has ever taught her to keep the rest of the tailies safe and to root out a traitor in their midst. Mm. That's the that's the that's the write up on Anna Lucia. So she never became a captain. Uh, I don't think that there was really any resentment. I would say, yeah, Big, Big Mike, Mike is not evil. Yeah, Big Mike is a big softy. I'm, you mean a big softy? He's a big softy. I, yeah, I, I think that I, I guess we're gonna have a lot of fun with Big Mike. Big Mike might be the trucker of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big Mike's great. Love Big Mike. Big Mike is uh, uh, also. I don't know if Seth Rogen and Superbad was meant to be a Big Mike lookalike, but no. I feel like they're comparable in terms of they both have the mustache and sort of like that Rogen esque quality about them. Well, Michael Cudlitz also played uh, a police officer uh, in a much more regular capacity on Southland, ill-fated Southland, which I know a lot of people really liked uh, and uh, ended prematurely. Uh, People really liked his character on that show. So this is like a a Southland prequel. I don't know. I never watched the show. Maybe I should watch it. That's next on our list. Uh, Yeah. After the Alias rewatch, I think it's a Fringe rewatch. and then The Guiding uh, Light rewatch. mm -hmm, And then we'll do Southland. All right. Just add add it to our queue. Yeah, and then I think that there may be a movie called Southland that's like completely unrelated to the TV show. I think it's like a future dystopian movie. Oh, maybe uh, so. Maybe we'll, it's a we'll, spiritual sequel. Yeah, we'll add that to the end of the of the binge watch. Uh, last week we got into some feedback about how like Anna Lucy is the worst, and I and I hate her, and I never feel bad for her, and blah blah blah. Uh, the other forty eight days does its best to contextualize the plight of the Tailey and specifically the plight of Anna Lucia. And then this is like the double tap, right? Like this is like, let's make sure it's dead. Uh, this is giving us the Anna Lucia flashback after that to see if the, if the lost universe cannot shore up some sympathy for Anna here uh, to, to get us on board with how she is possibly somebody who could kill Shannon Rutherford in, uh, you know, a, a, an accident like this. Uh, how she's so trigger happy. Um, does this move the needle for you at all, one way or the other? Do you have any new thoughts, generally speaking, about Anna that stem from your experience rewatching Collision before we get deeper into this? So when I was watching the on location for this episode, Leonard Dick said something very interesting. He said, and I quote, Anna Lucia is somebody who does not want to be a victim. 
She was a victim once, and she swore to herself she would never be a victim again. And I feel like that philosophy informs a lot on top of the 48 days as to this episode. Now look, is she going to escape the LVP category despite the sympathy we have for her? Maybe not, because there are some questionable things that she does in this episode. But like all good Lost flashbacks, this does a good job in at least contextualizing the character for me. I got a better sense in this episode as to how her journey from the other 48 days segues into Collision. Because what I really picked up from Michelle Rodriguez's performance on Island in this episode was how much Anna Lucia was falling apart. Like, oh, yeah. I think I remember this episode as her being, like, very angry, you know, sort of putting her head down and pushing through friend and foe alike to keep Saeed tied to that tree. But there are so many times when you look in Michelle Rodriguez's eyes and you see vulnerability. Uh, you know, Echo's going to say it later on to Jack, and Lucia made a mistake. And I think she knows that, and I think it really plays in her performance throughout the episode. And that's something I didn't really appreciate the first time. So even talking beyond... The, the stuff that the flashback provides in terms of the situation that Anna Lucia is in and how she basically looks at the world through this sort of like revenge lens of, you know, eye for an eye. If someone does something to you, then you have every right to take out something on them. And that's why she's so cautious and wary of Saeed. There's also this idea that at the same time, she knows that she's pushing people away and that she's making mistakes and that she's sort of doing everything she shouldn't be to try to make up for it, but she has to feel like she's doing something. All right, let's get into the episode proper uh, with the assistance of eight sounds, and we'll begin with a flashback. Uh, Anna Lucia shooting a gun over and over and over again. Uh, both the, fla- the flashbacks will be bookended by Anna shooting a gun, and of course, the last thing we saw of Anna in the contemporary setting of the island was her shooting a gun. Hey, Anna, get your uh, gun. Anna gets a gun. Uh, she's shooting a gun over and over again, and then she is in therapy. Uh, she's in therapy with a therapist who's asking her, like, how's Danny? Are you two trying to work things out? We keep hearing about Danny. Uh, do we think that's Danny Pickett, the other, who's going to show up in uh, at the end of uh, later on in this season? He's the guy who gets a real hate into Sawyer. Oh, that would make... I mean, if he's as despicable of a character as he was on the island, then... Maybe it's a good reason that they broke things up, though I guess the assumption is that Anna Lucia's unborn child, who Jason McCormack unintentionally killed, was Danny's, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, So that would be Danny's baby. Uh, And it would explain why both Anna and Danny Pickett have such a good hate for Sawyer. (laughs) Like, they both just, like, hate hate the same types of people. Yeah, they're just having discussions at night. Like, you know how I really hate long-haired con men with Southern drawl? Like, they're just the worst. So so this therapy scene is interesting. Obviously, this is a big expository moment, and it ends with this revelation that she was a cop, which we didn't know before this point. Uh, You know, Anna tells this story about how the family with the screaming baby finally moved away, and she says it's too quiet. This is a nice foreshadowing for her lingering mourning, essentially, about how, you know, she sort of is now left with her own thoughts, but also left by herself. And I think that's also something that really colors Anna Lucia in this episode is how much she has isolated herself due to the events that she's experienced. This feeling that like, even the thing that she was literally carrying inside her uh, abandoned her, I guess, in one way, shape, or form. Obviously, Danny Pickett did to go marry Colleen uh, mm-hmm. on the island. So it's clear that she's someone who feels like she is uh, a lone wolf. And it also is it's an interesting moment when, you know, the therapist asks Anna how did it feel to hold a gun again. 
And she said, very good. Very good. Yeah, and so the implication, obviously, and we will find out later, you know, uh, of her sort of being taken off the force, but this idea of, like, she was banned from being use- from using a gun almost makes what happens on the island even more tragic, because it almost makes her seem a little bit more trigger-happy, to the point where, right. like, she was in, she was having a good old time at that shooting range. Though I can't tell if that was her, like, taking out aggression, or I wonder how much, like, the shoot Jason McCormick plan was premeditated, you know, and she was, like visualizing him whenever she was going to find him to take him down in that manner. Yeah, I mean, she makes the call really quickly once she sees him. She's like, that's not him. Like, was that like a snap judgment? And at that moment, she's like, I'm going to now track him down and kill him. I think like in this moment, there's no way, right? Like she doesn't know who he is. She hasn't like found him, anything like that. Um, but I think the second that they bring him in, I think that's where that that plan comes in. But what what we are getting here is very clearly like, She's rightfully not over what happened to her, right. but she's putting up the front that she is. And I do think that that is very much the the Anna story all the way through, is she's hurting so badly. She is in deep agony. She's in so much pain, and she just doesn't want to let the world know. Uh, um, yeah, It's interesting. I mean, I am... I don't want to make like a direct comparison to The Wire just because it's cops, but it reminds me a bit of, spoiler alert for The Wire, skip ahead a couple minutes... Uh, the story of Kima Greggs in the first couple of seasons, where I believe it was at the end of season one, she was shot in the line yep. of duty. And season two is a lot about like her recovering from that, but also like really jonesing to get back out on the beat. Because this, this feels like something that's in her lifeblood, despite how much she's putting her life on the line every day. And I, we'll talk about this later, specifically when she returns to the forest proper. But <clears throat> I got a lot of symmetry there in terms of these are both characters who like want to throw themselves into their work to sort of drown out the misery that they're living in but when it comes to this line of work that's not a good psychology to walk yeah. into your job with yeah all right so she well the psychologist is gonna is probably uh there's other people that are gonna get lvp points spoiler alert one person is gonna get dumped upon uh otherwise i think the therapist here might get dinged up because uh he likes like, all right, I, he, she left the final call up to me. You seem good to me. Well, I wonder. You seem ready to wield a gun to me. I wonder because it seems like he's been in contact with Captain Mama, a.k.a. C- Teresa Cortez. Stop or my mom will shoot. Uh, uh-huh. That I, I, Maybe like he, she already told him the plan to like put her at the desk. You know, that this is more of like a formality than it is like a great grab your gun. You're going back in the cop car. So maybe it was more so like a, OK, this is one step but you're still not ready to go out onto the beat. Yeah, all right. Well, he he's given her the go-ahead, so she's uh, she's back on the force, and this is when we first officially find out. Anna's a cop. She's a cap. She's a cop but pretending to be a criminal. Did that... Do you remember at the time, did that change the way you fundamentally viewed the no, character? not at all. Not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be honest, it didn't. Didn't at all. Um, did it for you? I'm trying to remember. Maybe just because... I, it seems like it made sense. Yeah. Like, it seems like it tracked. It's like, okay. Well, I think I think it was that, you know, I guess maybe it, it recolored the other 48 days and that she was the bad cop. That, like, it wasn't that, ma- that her being cop didn't make sense. It was more so that the tactics she was using to make law and order happen were a little intense, especially compared to somebody like Jack, who we watched be a leader for a season. So it was more so, I think, looking at, like, okay, she's a cop. This is clearly what kind of cop she is. Uh, in the present, uh, we finally get to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> Saeed feels like Woo! he's been sitting there in the rain for like two weeks at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like very, very timely, right? <laughs> it's like the, the, the present action has been quarantined. Uh, now we get to move forward with the story a little bit. Uh, Saeed stands up after gently resting Shannon to the ground, and he pulls his gun out and walks straight at Anna. Good timing for Mr. Echo to tackle Saeed. Otherwise, Anna Lucia might die a little bit sooner uh, than she actually does on the show. Yeah, which, again, will contrast heavily with Saeed making the choice later on to not kill Anna. I mean... I guess to uh, sort of make an assumption from your question, do you think had Mr. Echo not farkassed him in that moment that he would have shot her there? Yeah, right? I mean, I think he's blind with rage. Uh, we will see throughout the series, Saeed kill people for less. That's true. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think she's mm, toast. Maybe, he's, maybe he shot there. baby Ben Linus because he thought back to when he didn't shoot Anna Lucia and he regretted it ever since. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. Uh, so it's Saeed versus Echo. Uh, this is a good fight. Is there a clear winner here, if not for the fact that Anna knocks Saeed out? Like, she kind of, like, spoils the fight. But otherwise, like, it's a it's a, it's a bare-knuckle brawl in the mud. And it seems like they're both, like, getting good licks in on each other. Like, Saeed kicks Echo in the face at one point. Saeed's a big kicker. Mm. Loves to kick. Loves to use his legs. Right. Well, he's a smart guy. I think he's in, more into, like, the full body. I guess he would be, like, an MMA fighter. Uh, I guess the most so out of anybody on the island. I know that's an odd. Let's not try and uh, analyze the actual fight style because there's no way. No, if someone (laughs) makes a lost style Mortal Kombat game, then really we can figure it out. But yeah, this will not be the last mud fight we'll see in Lost. But I would say that it's it's a good one. I would say you know Echo obviously has more of the raw strength, but as you mentioned, Saeed is so emotionally charged at this point that it's just pure adrenaline, and I'm sure Echo is also probably holding back due to like not necessarily his pacifist nature but like i know i could kick the crap out of this guy but like clearly i just want to incapacitate him for now and he gets an assist from anna lucia to your point yeah remember when saeed and echo used to kick it (laughs) oh man things are gonna be super awkward now that that the groups have come together super super awkward uh yeah but they're both like uh experienced killers they're both trained in their in their own rights Echo is incentivized to protect. Saeed is incentivized to kill. Uh, and so these are like very powerful forces meeting in the middle. So it's it's no surprise that there's no clear winner. Uh, but I hate Anna Lucia for uh, knocking Saeed out and not letting us find out who would have won that one on their own. Well, um, but I guess the rest of the episode doesn't happen if she doesn't do it because she turns into a hostage situation immediately. Yeah, with but also like kind of with everybody, which is an interesting choice. Like you can say what you want to about her motives for pursuing Saeed. I always wondered personally why she's, and she's going to be so insistent. I would say through like the first, maybe half of the episode that nobody leave, uh, which is crazy considering that, you know, Sawyer's dying, but she is so insistent that everybody stay uh, and, you know, make sure that they watch her watching him. But as I mentioned before, this is one of those first moments where you see the fright in Michelle, Michelle Rodriguez's eyes. Like, I think, she had that cold, hard stare that we've seen time and time again the past couple of weeks after she shot Shannon. I think now it's starting to come together that she just killed an innocent woman. Uh, yeah. And so you could see that sort of emotionally play out. And I guess in that moment, that uh, influences her to decide to hold literally everyone, friend and foe alike, at gunpoint. Yeah, so she says, nobody move. Nobody move. Uh, she's got a, she's got a gun, uh, she has a gun out and everyone's like, are you crazy? Don't point that gun at me. That's what Michael says to Anna Lucia. That's rich. Yeah, exactly. He's like, wait a minute. I got a great idea. 
Yeah. There's also yeah, a yeah, think... fun moment later on, not to get too uh, down the hatch as it were, but you know, when they give Michael the gun, like, do you know how to use this thing? He's like, I, I guess so. Yeah, well, you'll figure it out. Uh, she like shoots at Michael, but like past him. Uh, she's like, we got to tie this guy up. He's like, I'm not tying him up. Uh, and then she points the gun at Libby. You do it. And Libby's like, you're pointing a gun at yeah, me? Yeah, she doesn't even call Libby by her name. She just says you. You. Hey, you. It's because in the, in the heat of the moment, she forgot her name probably. Uh, but let's use the vines from the stretcher. Uh, this whole thing is crazy, but they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're, she's basically saying sacrifice Sawyer to keep Saeed subdued. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to our next flashback. It's going to be Anna and Mama Cop, uh, Officer uh, Captain Cortez, Teresa Cortez. Uh, we're going to get the first scene between them. Let's take a listen. Sound number one. How are you? Good. Fine. Good. Your assignment. Evidence? You're putting me behind a desk? That a problem? I want patrol. I don't care what you want. Just put me in a car. You were in an officer-involved shooting. No. ¿Estás haciendo esto porque eres capitán o porque eres mi madre? Both. I need to be back on the street. Please. I put you in a car. Everyone's going to know that I pulled strings. You don't want me to treat you like my daughter. Don't ask for favors. Then transfer me. You don't get the transfer, but I'll give you the car. Happy? Sorry to bother you, Captain. Anna, there's a call for you in the bullpen. They say it's real important. Thanks, Rags. I'll be right there. They got you a cake. Try and act surprised. How dare she ruin the surprise? <laughs> I Maybe she knows that... She, I mean, she knows her daughter, right? She knows that Anna Lucia... Maybe they had, like, a traumatic thing from their past oh, yeah, well, where yeah, Anna Lucia had a surprise party as a kid, and it went very bad. Yeah, I think a clown ends up dead. And Anna Lucia yeah, a clown right. popped out of a cake, and Anna Lucia shot it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I think there is a non-zero <laughs> chance, Josh, that Anna Lucia walks into the break room, they yell surprise, and she starts shooting. And just oh, in pure God. surprise. Yeah, well, it could. I mean, the serious thing could be like uh, her mom knows, like maybe surprises are not the best thing for her right now. But also, maybe not the best thing for now is putting her in the patrol car. And also, like the way that Anna is able to like say, like, "All right, well, transfer me if you're not going to put me in the car." And her mom is immediately like, "All right, well, you don't get the transfer, but I will put you back in the car." It's like the quickest negotiation of all time. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You could see, you could feel like you could get a sense of their relationship just in this conversation alone. I mean, first. Anna is, even though she doesn't want to be treated like Teresa Cortez's daughter, she definitely is in this moment to the point where she sort of is acting like a child, being a little petulant about, like, I need to be in a car. Put me in a car right now, mommy, please. Uh, and <laughs> Teresa Cortez, like, eventually buckles under it, you know, when when threatened to transfer. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree, though. It's not a smart decision. Like, yes, you want to placate your child a bit and hope that she makes the best decisions, but this is a clearly still traumatized woman and you should realize that i mean going back to the series bible entry josh do you feel like there is nepotism involved here when her mom just happens to be the captain of this unit 
I don't know about about that piece of it, but they're certainly involved when she's like, I'm not going to transfer you because you're my daughter and I want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm keeping you here. And so I'm going to put you back in a car. Yeah. Right. Like, even though I know it's probably not healthy for you, uh, that's not a great relationship. Yeah. I mean, you could also say, though, on one hand, this allows me to keep an eye on you, at least, whereas transferring you, you're someone else's problem, but they also know you much less than I do. Uh, and right. so there's a greater chance that you could do something dangerous. Little does she know, she when she puts her in a car, she's still going to do dangerous stuff, no matter what unit she's a part of. Oh, my God. All right. So that's Mama Cortez, uh, Captain Teresa, T-Bird Cortez. C- Captain and say. Teresa. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, all right. So back at the beach, uh, Jack is filling up water, and it's like the first time he's seen daylight in a long while. No, that water looks uh, a little grody. Uh, maybe it's because a little bit. Maybe but because this beggars can't be choosers. Well, because I assume this isn't the cave water. I'm assuming this this seems to be like collected rainwater, considering it's it seems to be in some sort of like trash bag fashioned well. Mike, they all seem to have just decided we don't need the cave rainwater anymore. They don't need the cave water. They anymore. literally just, went there for that <laughs> reason. I mean, it's very annoying, but whatever. Uh, so Jack is filling up his water bottle. Rose likes seeing him out of the hatch. She needs more sunshine. He needs more fruit. She's got the best fruit. Rose's fruit. That's where it's at on the island. She's got the she's got the hook. Oh, if only Nathan knew about Rose's fruit. I know. Maybe he wouldn't be taking two hour you. bathroom breaks. Oh, thank you, God. Uh, and then a golf ball shows up and flies into the water supply. Where did this come from? Well, how about, Mike, we listen to sound number two and find out. Pass the hanging tree, double or nothing. You sure? Dude, double or nothing. There's no way you're hitting it that far. Early, the woman's on bloody steroids. Double's 10,000 bucks. Oh, that's nothing. Someone who's worth $150 million. He'll build you your own course if you'd like. What's he talking about? Ignore him. He's an idiot. Crap! <laughs> you hooked it. Try keeping your left arm straight. You giving me tips? Kate, I'm... I'm a doctor. So you think you could do better? <laughs> Anyone can hit a ball. That's, that's not golf. And what's golf? Golf is accuracy. Well, why don't we play a few holes and see which one of us is more accurate? (laughs) You're kidding, right? Three holes, no handicap, we play for bragging rights. What are we waiting for? All right, it's the return of Island Golf. Island Golf is back. In the mix, it's a one-on-one, a 2v2. I like Kate, Charlie, Charlie, and Hurley reenacting the beginning of Happy Gilmore. I don't think they realized it, but that's (laughs) essentially what they were doing, right? It was like Adam Sandler and Will Sasso and that other guy betting each other if they can smack golf balls to the other side of the street. Yeah, I mean, Kate... Uh, apparently is going to like show that she's like a decent golfer, although it's really going to be fairly short lived. Uh, But is she hitting golf balls at the camp? I was going to say, like, why are they on the beach? We're going to go. Or do we want to say that that was like a Charlie or a Hurley? But like Hurley built a golf course. There is an entirely operable golf course in the hills that you can use. This is how Sullivan died. guys. He got hit in the head with a golf ball. (laughs) Don't make other Sullivans happen. Yeah, but it's. Far, you know, it's far to the golf it's course. Sh- and they don't have a cart 
Yeah, I suppose so. I also like. I don't have the Dharma van yet. I like the runner of Charlie still in disbelief about Hurley's net worth and still poking fun at it. But I will say, uh, I, I don't think the first half of this episode is as good as the second half. And I think one of these reasons is I'm not a huge fan of Island Golf 2.0 just because I'm grateful we don't have an entire episode of Jack being an ass and golf splaining to Kate the entire time. Sure, but I like it here, actually. I disagree with you. I, I think law, uh, Golf 2.0 works for me because, A, it's like it's returning to one of the only leisurely pursuits that they have and has been established on the show so far. Um, and I think it also sets up a nice contrast between like sort of like the levity of the moment um, and how that smashes into the severity of what is happening deeper in the jungle uh, and how that's going to collide with Jack and Kate's worlds pretty immediately. Um, so the tonal contrast, like the tonal whiplash um, often can be like kind of like as whiplash implies, like a source of pain and, and you know, a bit of a headache. Uh, but I actually think it really works for me uh, in an episode that is aptly named Collision. It's a tonal collision uh, that occurs with the, the beginning of the golf stuff that really lasts about as long as it should. Uh, you know, it's this cute scene here, and then it's the scene we heard as the intro here, basically, uh, of this episode of the podcast. Uh, and that's essentially it before we're back into, like, ER mode, jungle ER mode. Yeah, I just wonder if maybe... I don't know. I, I think it's just that I am not a big fan of, like, this Jack and Kate stuff. Like, Island Golf could be fine, but I don't know. I, I, I've just felt like I was not liking Jack during the first half sure. of this episode. So I didn't know if I necessarily needed a plot line of, like, Jack thinks you can beat Kate in golf, but Kate spanks him in it. Like, it's that seems very sitcom-y to me. So to your point, I'm glad we ditch it. And I think it does make sense from a, a tonal discrepancy perspective. But I wonder if we could have done something that didn't necessarily steer into that sort of hackneyed perspective oh but i do love uh how how she says why don't we play a few holes and see which one of us is more accurate <laughs> good line uh and he's like oh holes accuracy yeah. okay yeah uh, are, are are we having sex or <laughs> is this uh, we're getting caught in a net here are we using it, euphemisms it, 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 is is this it? Like, is it, is this happening? Could you uh, imagine right, that's so- <laughs> how Echo finds them? <laughs> Awkward. Uh, oh my sorry. god. Uh, where, where's the doctor? You could get back to what you're doing, but yeah, I didn't mean to walk in on you kicking it. Um, all right, deeper in the jungle, Libby wants to bring everybody to the camp. She's like, it's an accident. They'll understand. And Anna Lucy's like, they are not going to understand. I killed this person. Uh, and she's probably her instincts are not totally incorrect, but also like this is not a great look. Uh, but she's traumatized and all this stuff. You try to give her some slack if you can. Is there slack to be given? This is the thing that we are weighing. Uh, Said is waking up. He wants to be untied. He asks, you know, relatively gently at first and then very aggressively next. Yeah, it's clear that, you know, he goes into rage mode. I think this is him trying different tactics and he goes a bit aggro. But Echo doesn't care. Echo's like, I'm done with these foolish games. Uh, I need to take. Yeah, this is over. Flat up ca- Fireman Carry Sawyer, which good on AAA because. I cannot imagine carrying, you know, Josh Holloway's dead weight, assumingly that he's still trying to be as slack as possible. But I mean, we've seen sort of the not necessarily the Echo versus Anna stuff in the past few episodes, but it's sort of been like Anna is in charge of everyone at the camp except for Echo. Sort of like how Jack was basically Locke felt that Jack was in charge of everyone at camp except him. He felt like because he was more connected to the island, he had some sort of great like, parallel, yeah. some sort of like diplomatic immunity from that perspective. And so does Echo here. He's like, I'm not going to follow your stupid hostage situation. This man needs help. I'm going to take him. And I mean, for to, to her credit, Anna does let that happen without like shooting Echo in the leg as he tries to leave. Yeah, I'm not doing it for him. I'm doing it for me. 
once again, Mr. Echo wearily taking on like a cosmic toll that he knows that he can never repay. Uh, I think if that's like the the thread that you're trying to track with Mr. Echo of this is a man who walks the path, not because he wants to, but literally because he feels he has to, uh, because like he knows what the right thing to do is now. It's not necessarily what he would like to do. You know, it's, you know, he might not necessarily like be relishing the idea of like strolling through the jungle with Josh Holloway on his back, but he knows it's right. He knows that what's happening here is wrong and he needs to do the right thing because he has done so much wrong. Right. Uh, that's how he feels he needs to repay his brother. Uh, and I do think that there is some sense of like weary resentment when he really looks it in the eye. Uh, certainly later on down the line, he has, uh, kind of uh, a moment of acceptance with it right before he gets killed. But this case that we're trying to build about Echo is that a lot of his faith is driven from this feeling of like, "Ah, Mm -hmm. I gotta do it. Gotta do the thing. Yeah, it's it's this, and this is tied into the idea of fate, but like this illusion of free will that we think that he's making these choices. But I think to your point, it turns out like every juncture that he's at, he basically has to look to the sky and be like, what am I supposed to do? And then he's going to take that path. And whether it's the road less traveled, whether it's, you know, going along with the group, he's going to have to take that no matter what. And in this case, that means defying the person who he has become pretty close with. Let's remember that, like, he was the person, she was the first person he spoke to since he killed people. She broke down in his arms. Yet here he is. He has to leave her side to take care of this guy because he feels like he's beholden by the promise he made to have to do that. Uh, all right, flashback time. Here he is, Big Mike. Should have pulled a Big Mike sound. I regret this. Uh, we don't have a Big Mike sound for you, but uh, we love Big Mike. Big Mike's like, oh, did you get the good stuff from the shrink? Because it's not that kind of shrink. He's like, ah, well, did you miss me? We're good friends, right? <laughs> and he does offer to kick Danny's ass, which I think is nice. Uh, it's clear that Annalise, I think, holds a lot of rage, and it seems like he's noticing that. I would also say, like, you, you, it's clear that like he's not necessarily getting a demotion, but, you know, you, Teresa... While she did make the questionable decision to put Anna back in the car, she did at least force them onto like a very safe patrol route. And so Big Mike knows that he's not seeing a lot of action, which is what Anna Lucia sort of blanches at and why they go into this domestic disturbance situation. But he's sort of taking his lumps because he knows it's what's best for her. Yeah, they're in Westwood. It's the best hotel. Oh, no. Uh, safe, safe neighborhood. Yeah, all the hosts are just going along mm-hmm. their own loops. Nobody's breaking yeah. from their, from, you know, their, their narratives anytime soon. Yeah, uh, Arnold. Um, all right, uh, they're gonna go to, and go to this domestic dispute. This dis- domestic dispute is the word that I'm trying to say. Uh, and there's this guy who's just being horrible. He's holding a TV. He says, "Do something useful, Shauna. Shut your trap." Is like the one line that I wrote down. Uh, hate this guy. Uh, he would get LVP points too if not for the fact that I get a good hate into somebody else. Uh, but Anna pulls a gun on this man. Uh, and big Mike Walton's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a, but that yeah, I mean, it's a super tense scene and it's interesting in so many ways. First, the clear trigger for her is the baby, right? Uh, I, and I wonder if it's just, maybe it sends her, it puts her in a different headspace. Maybe it's feeling like, sort of like we talked about with Zach and Emma last week, like she feels like she has to overly protect the kid because she wasn't able to protect her own. But obviously she goes from zero to a hundred and it's so interesting real quick yeah and it's so interesting to see the big mike side of things though that he can't get to her until he addresses her like he drops the formalities right he's saying officer cortez officer cortez but when he said finally says anna lucia it finally like 
snaps her out of it. And you do see a tear roll down her cheek. So you see her sort of like come out of that moment and realize what she did, which is like to absolutely make a mountain range out of a molehill. Yeah. Oh, no good. No good. I just love the, the line delivery. Officer Cortez, Anna Lucia, he is down. Holster your weapon. Uh, great Michael Cudlitz moment. Yeah. Michael Cudlitz, great actor. And he's, he's become a, a prolific director of television. He's, you know, long after his stint on The Walking Dead as an actor, he's returned to the show a bunch uh, to, to direct. I think he's directed something like four at least episodes mm. now at this point. Uh, and they've all been, you know, very, you know, certainly competently directed, if not, you know, great episodes of the show. Uh, what is a great episode of The Walking Dead? Uh, so I, I'm, I've always been a big Cudlitz fan. Um, and, and seeing him back here on Lost, even in, in brief form, this is really the big, but the big, big Mike scene. Uh, but it's uh, it's a good one. I, I think that he he shows himself to be a pretty stand up guy in this moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. And doesn't help that he's standing while Travis is down on the ground. Travis is a lie down <laughs> guy instead of a stand up guy. Yeah, indeed. All right. So back on the island in the jungle, uh, Anna is still rocking back and forth, and Libby's still advocating to get Saeed back out of here. And he's like, "No, if I do, he'll come after me. I killed someone he loves." Yeah, and uh, which uh, which tracks from her warp sense of logic right because someone killed someone she loves and what did she do sure she's very, yeah she knows she's it. very much projecting into saeed right now saying like it makes sense and i mean we'll go, we'll talk later about the parallels between saeed and anna lucia it's actually sort of a dynamic that i did not remember from season two obviously it's going to be short-lived but i was sort of surprised about how much the two connect uh but libby michael has less patience than the other dailies do because he just met this chick like a week ago and he's like i'm done with this bs okay i'm going yeah so michael's gonna stand up and decide he's gonna talk to saeed let's listen in on how uh michael stands up to anna lucia and the conversation that ensues between him and mr Girard. sit down now i'm bringing him water you gonna shoot me shoot me Don't even think of untying him. <sighs> Who is that woman? Her name is Anna Lucia. She was on the plane. Tail section, they all were. You were bringing him back. Where is Walt? took him the others what do you mean they took him from the raft the night we left <laughs> hey man <sighs> hey we're gonna get out of this man Just a conversation between two dudes who are going to blow up eventually, Mike. <laughs> what did That's one blow up do say to the other? Uh, yeah, they said, kaboom! It's interesting to watch Saeed's sort of anguish reaction to when Michael brings up Walt. Because you can imagine yeah. how much he connects now to Walt appearing in the jungle. I, I wonder what he his mental math is. Like, Does that confirm or deny Shannon's uh, you know, thoughts about the vision yeah. and what he 
claims he saw in the jungle. Yeah, not for nothing. I don't think that he really ever really brings it up in any kind of functional way, right? That like I saw Walt in the jungle. Uh, so he sort of like buries this. Maybe it's like he thought that he was sort of losing his mind. Maybe he thought that Shannon was losing her mind. Maybe they were seeing things. Certainly Michael is back here and he's telling a very different story about what happened to Walt. Well, that's the thing. Maybe, I mean, I guess if I'm going to do my own mental math here, maybe it's that confirming that Walt was kidnapped on the raft definitely means he wasn't in the jungle. And so Shannon essentially died because she was chasing after something that wasn't real. Chasing a ghost! Yeah, which would make him feel worse that she died and she died for something that it wasn't an apparition the entire time. Yeah, he's not happy. Great Naveen Andrews performance in this episode. Yeah, and shoes on the other foot with him being tied down to a tree now. He even makes mention of that later on. Yep. But I think yep. watching his sort of, you know, him going through the five stages of grief while tied to that tree is super interesting. To see, like, where he starts with beating up Echo and then where he ends the episode with him, like, calmly but very mournfully just silently walking away from Anna Lucia and towards Shannon's body and carrying her off is like a whole journey in on its own. Okay, so Jack and Kate have decided, let's go to the actual golf course. Uh, Jack says some stupid stuff about like, oh, the ladies tee is back there. Yeah. Uh, then she like is like, okay, cool. Now watch this. And she, like, she does really well and then he sucks. Yeah, I love the, like, the woof face that Kate makes after Jack completely whiffs it in the jungle. Yeah, you really put it in there, she And says. he's pulling a Shooter McGavin, right, of, like, playing through, even though the ball landed on this big guy's foot. But in this case, it's just in the jungle. Yeah, and I'll see you in the parking lot uh, with uh, Sarah, who is... Uh, for, uh, that, that's actually... Um, oh, wow, that's true. Virginia Venice. Maybe that's why yeah. Jack fancies himself a golf person, is because he <laughs> once was married to someone who lusted after a, a PGA Tour winner. Yeah. Uh, just tap it in. Tap, tap, Is that tap what he's it. saying to himself at the very end of Lost when he's putting the cork back into the center of the island? Just tap yeah, it Yeah, and then when the cork falls out, he goes, don't you want to go to your home? Yeah, why don't you go home? You live there. Uh, oh, man. Oh, it's, uh, do, does, uh, is Jacob like, or is Richard Alpert is like the this, this, this Stubbs, do you think? <laughs> or Chubbs, Chubbs, I was confused with the West. Chubbs, Chubbs. Yeah, I don't know. I think Locke is kind of the Chubbs because Chubbs dies and then Happy Gilmore is incentivized to do really well and get back into it, right? Uh, and so Locke dies, and then Jack kind of takes on his mission. Mm, actually, you know what? Pierre Chang has to be Chubbs, because he doesn't have any. Oh, yeah, because he has the missing <laughs> army. <laughs> All right, well, we'll take your suggestions for uh, for next week's feedback show. Uh, this scene ends, as you heard earlier. Uh, Jack is uh, going to try and like putt from the, from the ravine, uh, and here comes uh, Mr. Echo with Sawyer on his shoulders. Uh, where is the doctor? Uh, Jack, I, I love how Jack has the golf club raised like a weapon, how he's just like sort of instinctively does that. Uh, cool little detail. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it must be a crazy image with this giant hulking man who you've never met before with what looks like a passed out story. I mean, Jack is going to be very, very nervous about him as they get down into the hatch of like, hey, you know, Sawyer was shot. Who's to say that he wasn't shot by this guy? Uh, and, right. and, you know, we've seen another infiltrate our camp before. Could this guy be another? That's sort of a implicit in, in what he says. But I can't imagine yeah. the image of, like, this guy you never met coming out with someone who you previously, like, sent off to go find help slung across his shoulders on death's door with a bullet. Plus, in this guy's not really giving them enough information. Like, he's not really talking a lot. So, you know, the whole thing is just, like, pretty, pretty harrowing. Um, uh, all right. So let's let's play this next sound. Speaking of harrowing, let's let's play. Uh, let's play. Play a bit of the return to the hatch. Uh, we got some daylight for Jack. 
Uh, now he has to go back underground, uh, and he's going to start helping out Sawyer as best as he can. Uh, but what we're also going to get out of this is first contact between two characters who are going to be in a very compelling place with each other all season long. Let's take a listen. I got him. I got him. Where are we headed? Bathroom. He's burning up. Got to get him in the shower and bring this fever down. What can I do? Go through the medical stash. There's a bottle of ofloxacin. Ofloxacin. Little white pills. Bring the uh, alcohol and some gauze patches. Strip that bed, make sure it's got clean sheets on it. Kate. Uh, Yeah, here. What happened? John. The button. So, Josh, if this is first contact, which one's the Vulcan? Is it Locke or is it Echo? <laughs> Who's Zephyrin Cochran? Who's Zephyrin Cochran? Well, I think that might be Locke. Yeah, he does have more uh, of the uh, the James Cromwell look to him, I suppose. And I think like uh, Echo has more of like uh, the Vulcan peaceful thing about him. Yeah. Uh, prone, prone to anger, bouts of anger. This is why I love Lostpedia, Josh. There's an entire article about the crossword puzzle that Locke's doing and how Gilgamesh might not be the right answer to the clue. Oh, really? Yeah, and there's also obviously a lot of parallels to Gilgamesh. I think there was like a retelling of this epic that was turned into a novel that was sort of like uh, these two characters that are sort of intertwined and are sort of have their own destinies tied to their respective lands, which obviously mirrors the twin destinies of Locke and Echo, who, as you mentioned, have now just exchanged hellos, but they're going to become fundamentally important to one another for the time being. Uh, I love that scene, though, just the hello, hello. Uh, and just like Echo's exposure to the hatch is really fun. I'm also very happy for the, I mean, Jack must be so happy for the hatch because now they have like access to medical supplies. They don't have, they're far from the days of let's get a plain door and use it to chop off Boone's leg. Like he can actually mm-hmm. do stuff here. Yeah. Um, back in the hostage situation, it's getting intense where even Bernard is going to like show up and be like, hey, so I wasn't going to say anything, but like, hey, what are we doing uh, the camp's got to be close, right? And it's like, shut up, Bernard. I lugged you around like Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's for the last 48 days. Yeah, if you want to die again, keep talking. Because uh, I'll do it. I'll do it, Bernard. And Libby's like, just relax. We just want to know what the plan is. And here comes Saeed, who's going to spill the tea. Let's hear it. Sound number five. She has no plan. She only has her guilt and the gun. You want a plan? Do you have any ammo back at your camp? What? Ammo for the gun. Do you have any back at your camp? Yeah, a couple boxes. All right. I want it. At least half. And I'll need a pack. A big one. 
a blanket, some medicine, clothes, jeans, and socks. You getting all this? Yeah, I got it. All right. You bring all of that stuff back to me, and I'll let your friend go. Not leaving them. Mike, Michael, you should. No, we stay together. Go. 자이들을 절대로 다치게 할 수는 없어. I'll be back, man. Hannah, what are you doing? You can't live out here alone. I'm already alone. All right, uh, live alone, die, I don't know. What's Santa's motto going to be? Like, live alone, die alone, I'm always mm-hmm. alone, be alone. Yeah. Be alone. Uh, a lot going on here. She How did I get demands. you alone? How did I get you alone? She's got some demands to make here. She's got all the stuff that she wants. Michael is off. Uh, uh, I love that Jin is like, no, go. You should, like, if we've got it. Like, Jin, like, understands body language enough to know that, like, Michael is being told to, like, get back to camp. Right. And Jin is like, go do that. Accept that deal. Uh, We need to, like, get some people, like, uh, this needs to be on people's radar so we can untangle this situation. I'm trying to remember... If did Michael did we see Michael being informed on screen about the guns about the Halliburton case? I can't remember in the midst of all the raft stuff. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I think you could you could very easily. I mean, he's got a you know a gun with Sawyer. Uh, that's true. So Sawyer raft. did have a gun. It's just interesting when Anna Lucy is like, "Hey, get me you know half this ammo." I'm sure Michael would be like, "I don't know where this is, but I'm sure Kate knows." I'm assuming because I don't think he was part of the uh, the homecoming team, right? The group that it that no, subdued no, Ethan. No, no. No, 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 he was not. He was uh, too busy with the raft. Um, but Michael and Jack are like kind of buddies, so it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere like in between episodes, he's like, oh, yeah, we got all these guys. Oh, yeah, I can't wait oh, for cool, the Michael yeah. Jack bro hug later on. That's a fun moment. Oh, uh, yeah. Too bad this isn't a visual podcast because I would love to just like show that. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, they're just like, really uh, hey, uh, I know a lot happened. But let me just give you a quick like little bro tap and then we'll move on. Uh any any thoughts on what uh, on what Anna uh, is asking for? She needs a pack. A big one, a blanket, medicine, clothes, jeans, and socks, uh, and a couple of boxes of ammo. I don't know why, Um, like, I would imagine if I was in this island setting, I don't know, this is not like Survivor where you're swimming every day, but it feels like jeans are less than ideal for this, right? Unless she's just, like, a jean girl and she feels most comfortable in it. I'm surprised food was not part of it. I wonder if she had known about Hurley's big, uh, you know big quest of gratitude if she would have asked for actual food instead of like having to forage for herself and- tv dinners i want them yeah apollo bars i, I want peanut butter yeah uh jarred peaches <laughs> exactly i'm a peach woman yeah the peach woman Lucia. <laughs> but in exchange she'll let Sai go so i guess what's her plan here that she's just gonna like become the yeah, new danielle going, Rousseau and yeah. just live out in the jungle by yes. herself yeah that's it that's it and then she's gonna meet danny Rousseau. Oh, the, how about that? There we go. Maybe that was the Danny. Yeah, she her, she was Danny the whole time. Oh, that'd be interesting. Which would also be strange, considering that she was has been gone for sixteen years. Hard to explain the continuity of it, but let's just go with it. Also, it's an, a total non sequitur. But I'm just thinking back on the Happy Gilmore stuff, Mike. 
and how we missed an opportunity to compare uh, the the boomerang sticks to Happy Gilmore's uh, golf club of choice. Ah, yes, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, they would yeah. they would kick ass. The Taylors would kick ass at Island Golf. They'll probably never get the yeah. chance to play because I'm assuming the Island Tour is suspended when Sawyer sort of not he walks through. Uh, he's slung through the door. But yeah. I can imagine that the the tour's put on hold for a while. All right, flashback time. Uh, Big Mike's going to sign us out. That's the end. That's a wrap on Big Mike until I think season four. Yeah, uh, what I mean, when he gets promoted. Uh, so I guess this yeah. is a wrap on Officer Big Mike. But at least he goes out calling a guy a yo-yo, which is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, we got him, Anna. Jason McCormick. Douchey McDoucherston. Uh, hate this guy. Uh, Jason McCormick, who's been arrested. He beat up an elderly woman in Echo Park. Uh, and they got a partial fingerprint on him that matched to the crime scene with Anna Lucia. He confessed to shooting her. Do you think uh, that's why uh, she has such a close association with Echo is because his, he's named after the park in which they found Jason McCormick? Maybe. Yeah, Mr. Echo Park. <laughs> I live in Mr. Echo Park. It seems like everyone sort of keeps to themselves, but it seems like a relatively good place. Is that like the flower field he shows up in in his final episode? Ooh, that's uh, Mr. Before? Echo Park. Yeah, is that Mr. Echo Park? I think we. I think when they remade the island, uh, you know, inevitably when they decided to gentrify and start, you Hurley know, did, uh, selling yeah. themselves out, selling off the real estate, they can make a, a park in honor of Mr. Echo. Well, don't Hurley and Mr. Echo, they play a lot of ghosts. Yeah, they chess. play chess together in Santa Rosa. So I'm assuming that that's yeah. where Mr. Echo communicates to Hurley. Like, if you ever go back to the island, make sure you section off that field and call it Mr. Echo Park because it's a fun pun. Oh, he would never be so bold. He would never be so bold as to as to put it up himself. Uh, or is Echo Park the, the church that never gets fully built? Mm. That's interesting as well. Maybe they could call the whole area Echo Park. They are not limited to space on the island, very clearly. Yeah. Echo Park 1, Echo Park 2. Yeah. Seems like a call sign. Well, I like that because they're echoes in themselves, you know? you. Oh, Echo. echo. Exactly. Oh, that's a good idea. Go. That makes sense. There should be two echoes and they should be relatively far away from each other. Exactly. And one should be like marginally quieter than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. This is good design. And Hurley's a whimsical guy. Like, you can imagine that this would be like, oh, yeah, I think that that'd be really yeah, cool. Yeah, like, whatever keeps yeah. him sane as he's going through this really crazy job. And they have, like, lots of chess tables set up at Echo yeah, Park. Yeah, because it's like, it's one of those things where they have these, you know, you and I are both New Yorkers. You have, the, obviously, the open chess tables mm -hmm. in the parks. I, yeah. Why not put that a part of there? Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great. Uh, I hate Jason McCormick. <laughs> I know he, like, he, we mostly hate him because of what he did, what we're, what we're told that he did. I just hate everything about him. I hate his whole vibe. I just hate this guy. I despise Jason McCormick. So I would love our Law & Order losties to sound off here. Like, does Anna need to technically ID Jason McCormick for them to file charges against him? Like, is that absolutely necessary? Because it seems like they have him for other stuff. Couldn't they just easily be like, all right, I know that clearly you're denying this, but we're still going to book him because he obviously did something wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. No idea. Zero, zero idea. Um, but everybody's like, you could just say that this is the guy. It's him. He confessed. She's like, I don't know him. Very Mariah Carey. I don't know him. But it's another fun fact that I've, I've read from Lostpedia. So Jason McCormack with his goateed glory is played by an actor named Aaron Gold. Uh, and apparently, Josh, we have seen Aaron Gold before. As soon as last episode, when Bernard was up in the tree in those seats. Remember that corpse that was next to him? I think this guy's dead. Apparently, that was Aaron Gold. What? So there's a there might be something about somehow Jason McCormick being on flight 815. Wow. Unless he has so a twin. Yeah. 
Brayden McCormick. Oh, Brayden's like the good twin. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, Jason was the bad twin. He was the bad twin. So it all plays out. Uh, I hate Jason McCormick. I hate him even more now, now that I know that there's two of them. <laughs> there's two McCormicks out there. To the, the brothers McCormick. Uh, yeah. Uh, so her mom is like, you put four bullets in you. Hollow points through your vest. Yeah. And, like, yeah, but that's not him. He didn't do but it. But also, I think she brings up a good logistical point. Of like, do you really want to put this guy out on the streets? Like, I don't care about your vendetta, but I guess we might not have enough evidence and we have to let this guy go who's capable of doing so much worse stuff. But Anna, again, clearly has this plan in her own mind of, I don't care. I don't know him, which is just bad, bad, bad yeah, look. Yeah, because now she knows what she's going to do. She's like, oh, I know him very well. I know him very, very well. Um, all right, back on the island, Anna is going to take a break from the hostage situation. I'm surprised that everybody doesn't like take this time to be like, yeah, 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 let's go. Yeah, let's freedom, go, freedom, go, freedom, let's go, run, 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 run. Book, 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 well, I guess book. she does have a gun, which probably doesn't help. Uh, they do it like relatively quietly. Maybe if they don't like panic, Well, Bernard's going like, to be go, whimpering go, 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 go. the whole way. Yeah. Uh, yes, but Anna takes the break to finally like visit her victim here, to finally see Shannon and assess the damage. She steps uh, next to the to the body, and uh, she's obviously very upset about this whole thing. And like that, that's something we haven't really commented on much. Is like the way that like Anna's like rocking back and forth, yeah. over and over again. Like she's like uh, very like bodily traumatized uh, by the whole. And, thing. And you know, I think the eagle-eyed fans are also a little shattered, Josh, because I think you could kind of see Maggie Grace breathing in this scene. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that just gives me some. Some hope that maybe, uh, I don't know, it would actually be pretty rough if she was still alive in this Yeah, point. and she was just slowly dying out while her boyfriend was tied to a tree and couldn't do anything. I think that'd be a worse death. Yeah, what if she was alive the whole time and she got buried alive like Nikki and Powell? Oh, Saeed lies. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, let's go back to the Swan Station. And actually, let's listen in on the Swan Station because we, we heard first contact. But let's hear uh, the first conversation between Locke and Echo. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. What happened? Out there, what happened? It was an accident. What kind of accident? A girl was shot and killed. What did she look like? She was tall, with blonde hair. It was an Arab man. Shannon. You said there were five of you from the tail section? Four. Four. Why didn't the rest of them come back with you? And, and, and Michael, Jin? They cannot come back right now. Can you take me to them? No. I just love the way that Echo says, no. <laughs> I think Echo also starting the scene with he like looks at well, you can't like see it because it's it's audio but like he's looking at all of the guns as Locke is asking like can you take me to see Shannon and he's like I I can't yeah so no. I wonder like what let's get inside Echo's head here what do you think he was thinking in that moment as he like contemplatively stared at the armory he doesn't know John Locke he doesn't know what he's gonna do he doesn't know how angry these people are gonna be uh if they're gonna march up there with the guns and start a fight like no he doesn't want that mm, and maybe there's also this idea of like maybe staring at the guns reminds him of his past life to your point and again if we're talking about this juncture point maybe this is he feels like the choice he has to make is like 
resisting violence in uh, the most peaceful way possible. And in that case, it would be, let's not have the people with guns go see Shannon and Annalise. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I also love how uh, he describes Shannon as tall with blonde hair. Really taking uh, uh, tips from Nathan in terms of describing people. Uh, and then Locke, you know, quickly identifies that there was an Arab man, so he knows it's Shannon. He knows that's Said and Shannon. Um, and he just, like, he chews on that for a beat mm. and then very quickly moves back into process. And you got to wonder if there's a, a moment where, uh, what what's Locke chewing on? Is he chewing on, like, that reminds me of Boone. That makes me feel bad because I got Boone killed. Does it make him feel like, oh, man, both Boone and Shannon died it really was a sacrifice the island demanded because these two are both dead. Uh, is he also maybe thinking like, okay, so I guess like that's one less person who wants to shoot me in the face. Exactly. Like she already shot me last time. Like this guarantees there will not be more bullets in my body except wait until the end of season three. Uh, I, right. I think that for him, and we'll see this with Jack, these two are pitted against each other once more in their reactions to this news where Jack is extremely emotional and like spur the moment ready to go he's a man of action and Locke is a man of thought and i don't know if if any of that stuff you mentioned is going through his head more so as like huh okay let me sort of compartmentalize that and we'll move forward from there because obviously there's a lot of question marks echo is very succinct in the language that he uses he's very blunt much like his stick and so obviously Locke could be asking more probing questions but at this moment he's taking what little information he's given and sort of digesting it to the point where even when jack is saying like hey take me there all this is going on Locke's still like now wait a minute we still need to hear the full story all right so jack and kate are trying to revive a septic sawyer uh they've already like showered him down at this point um she he thinks that she he's gonna have this infection in his bloodstream and they need to get him to drink water and take these pills otherwise uh it's gonna be no good uh and jack's not getting it to work uh, but Kate's going to be able to do it with the whisper strategy. They don't teach that in medicine. Oh, uh, could you imagine if Jock ever came back to being? Because I know we had problems with the bedside manner, but imagine him, you know, uh, approaching uh, Julie Bowen, being like, "I don't think you're ever going to walk again. I'm so sorry. I think your back's broken. I'm so sorry." Yeah, like I think that'd be uh, worse than the <laughs> blunt approach he took with them previously. Yeah, whispers one on one in med school. I don't think that they teach that. Uh, be nice if they taught that for losties so they could tell us what the whispers uh they could explain that whole arc to us um but kate whispers in in sawyer's ear uh, and it seem seemingly works i mean yeah so i guess what do we think like he was just delirious by the fever that when somebody shoved a pill in his mouth he instinctively didn't swallow until kate sort of like calmed him down yeah maybe i don't know i think so we know jack's bedside manner is not the best we know that sawyer is a very stubborn guy uh, so maybe some some TLC is just what he needs in that. Moment. Maybe they should have like given him the pill in his hand because he's just so again stubborn and independent. Like, oh Sawyer, you take the pill that you acquired by yourself. He'd be like, great, mm-hmm. I'm I'm so oh great, I'm gonna take my own pill. No one can give me any pills. Um, all right, back in the jungle at the hostage scene. Uh, the hostage scene is about to be untangled because uh, Bernard has a giant tear in his pants. Josh, <laughs> does he? <laughs> you need to look at this. At some point, Bernard has a giant vertical tear in one of the legs of his pants that exposes his entire leg. Yet not only has he taken on the pants, he is soldiering on with these torn pants. It is distinctly (laughs) distracting for me from the rest of the scene that Bernard is wearing such torn pants. Yeah, Bernard's like, you know what, Anna? 
I've added up to here. You know, I have to go back to 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 Rose. She needs to stitch up my pants and give me my, give me not give me sandals. Yeah, I don't know why I've turned him into Snarf from Bernard. <laughs> oh, snarf, Snarf. <laughs> yeah, I'm Snarf. You're Bernard. Bernard, I just, Bernard uh, is the worst <laughs> properly dressed person for the jungle I think I've ever seen. <laughs> he has oh, one Bernard. ripped pant leg and sand Birkenstocks out in the middle of the jungle. Just a hippie. He's just a hippie. Uh, he thanks Anna. He's like, thanks. I know I wouldn't be alive without you, but I'm definitely getting out of here. And Libby's leaving as well. Uh, and I love how Libby just like, throws you know cold water on and she's like i'm sorry i just don't think you're the best judge of character Yeah, that's i mean as someone who served as your leader who trusted in you for 48 days like that's gotta be rough to hear right that she doesn't like, trust I was your there judgment. When you, you threw nathan in the pit she, yeah she was with her didn't when you, when you go, threw nathan in libby the pit. go to anna and she was like uh like i was you know I'm, I'm a little suspicious of nathan so it's not like she didn't sign off on it right but i think maybe she's starting to become aware of like Okay, objectively looking at things, maybe Anna takes things a little intensely. Now, I think the Nathan situation is extremely different than this situation, but I, I think Libby probably, I think probably Libby, just from what we saw, means something more to Anna than both Bernard and Echo. Because, like we said, Echo sort of has been his own lone wolf. We have, we've seen relatively smaller of Bernard than Libby. And Libby, like she said, being so loyal in her camp before and being like, this is the final straw, I think fundamentally hits Anna and doesn't necessarily puts her in a worse place somehow than she even was at this point. Yeah, Jin leaves as well, even though he doesn't want to, but Saeed gives him the go. He's like, get out of here. I'll be fine. I'm Saeed. This isn't how yeah, I Yeah, he should have done like a Harry and the Hendersons and like throw a rock at him. Like, go! Get out of here! Yeah, he's like, I don't die here. You and I die together. Like, this is not where we die. Uh, so they're all gone and now it's awkward. It's just Saeed and Anna. Um, Michael. Uh, not Big Mike, but Mike Dawson. Uh... Michael Dawson, great episode for Michael. I, I just don't think that we've said that enough, mm. uh, that he, he's going to book it to, through the island. He's going to know how to get from exactly where he was to Sun's garden. Yeah, which uh, imagine, it, if she, what, what, imagine if for some reason she was bathing again when Michael walked in, oh, or just awkward. every single time it happens. That'd be so uncomfortable. Uh, but he's going he's gonna to come back. Like He's already stood in defense of Saeed at this point. He's coming back. He's like, Everything's okay. Jin's okay. I'll explain everything. We gotta find Jack. Uh, and so we're gonna cut back to the hatch uh, where Jack is uh, getting a good rage fit into Mr. Echo. Uh, where are they? Where are they? Shannon's dad. Why do you think Echo chose not to go back to Anna? Was it more so to look out for Sawyer? Was it that like he was at least tem- semi-permanently separating himself from her? Like, well, like why is he like- just chilling on the couch? I think to some degree, uh, they're probably like, don't leave. And like, these are strangers. And I think he probably feels like there needs to be some measure of explanation. Yeah. Uh, so like, I don't know. I mean, there isn't like a great reason. Maybe like, because here he is in the hatch and this place is strange and alluring in a way where he's like, I maybe I'm meant to be here to some degree. Yeah, it's just interesting because to your point, if he is asked to stay and be interrogated basically he pleads the fifth to jack basically saying anything i'm gonna do is make you angry so i'm not gonna say anything not gonna say a thing um son's gonna come with michael uh michael she, and jack are gonna hug it how out how does she know about the hatch uh good question i mean she was she, she'll be doing laundry later maybe rose let her in on the laundry secret maybe or maybe like jack let her in on it because they're tight and kate and son are tight so you gotta imagine that eventually they're gonna and I think maybe at this point, like, they've started uh, enlisting, like, those shifts. Mm. 
So like I think maybe the secret is is more out than it was a few episodes ago and they just didn't make a big to do about yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't I don't think we talked about this in Everybody Hates Hugo, but I wonder what like the PR spin was from our main crew to everybody else as to where the hell they got all this food. Mm. You know, like do you give the full truth or do you just say like well, we found it in this place in the jungle. Maybe it was like leftovers from other people who were here before us. Eat up, everyone. Nothing going on in the jungle. Don't worry. Or this island was once a research station for a group called the Dharma yeah. Initiative that founded the island in the 1970s. And you know the polar bear? Well, they brought them. They were studying them. And it seems like there's some electromagnetism shenanigans going on. And there's a button in there that we have to push every 108 minutes or else the world explodes uh it's all crazy and there was a guy named desmond he's gone if you see a scotsman running through the jungle please let us know he is a wanted man also there's chocolate <laughs> they should have they should have screened the orientation film like a beachside movie screening of pierre chang's masterpiece yeah i think that would have been good i mean it, it would at least brief everyone all together yeah uh michael is gonna come back jack and michael hug it out uh they're gonna start uh, rounding up the guns you know how to use this thing Mike's like i don't but I'll figure it out. Uh, they give him a shotgun, uh, and Echo's uh, going to finally speak up. He says, Stop! What do you want? Peace? Revenge? Justice? You're going out with these guns. What do you want? Jack wants to just resolve the thing, and Echo's going to say, Anna Lucia made a mistake. And once again, Jack with like the, the razor-sharp memory, mm-hmm. right, Mike? Yeah, another, another you moment. You know, he met Anna Lucia once. Uh, and he knows the name Anna Lucia, and he's like, oh, gee, okay, oh, no, this is the person who loves the tequila tonic. So, yeah, what do you think would have happened had Echo not said her name? Because obviously he would have recognized her. It would have been another Desmond moment of like, oh, my God, it's you. But I wonder how much more charged he would have been actually going into that situation. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. We don't know. Um, but Echo's going to offer to take Jack, but only Jack and no guns. Um, Mike, I think this might be, to my mind... The only big Jack and Echo scene of Lost. Wow, really? I, I'm trying to think. If you can think of one, please let me know. Um, and certainly people can correct the record when they write in. I cannot, to my mind, uh, I mean, like, Echo will be around for some of the stuff in the fallout of Anna Lucia, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's very Jack-centered. Right, well, because after, after the Anna Lucia stuff, then it's, sort of, it's going to start to get into, uh, you know, Michael starting to assemble the list. And I guess when it comes to the Henry Gale stuff, I don't think Echo has much interaction there, and that's more mm-hmm. of a Jack thing. Echo's going to be out in the jungle in a little while working on his own stuff once it gets acclimated to the camp. So, yeah, maybe you're right. These are like two ships passing in the night. Yeah, I think that this is it. I think this is the big Jack and Echo scene. Uh, I mean, that very likely could have changed if uh, they had elaborated on the plans with Mr. Echo moving forward. Uh, but this is what we get. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess... Maybe Echo's also more intrinsically tied to Locke that there could have been some stuff in there with, you know, the whole Jack versus Locke stuff and Echo serving as his proxy. But maybe they just felt like Echo was more closely tied to Locke, that there was more fertile ground there than him dealing with Jack here, which is him basically just serving as like the calm, rational person to Jack's more emotionally charged action. All right, well, let's go back to the jungle. uh, And it's just Anna and Saeed now, and they're going to have a very uh, awkward conversation. I think we should uh, we should probably listen in at this point. Where are you from? 
I'm from Iraq. You have any kids? Why are you asking me if I have children? I'm curious. I do not. Do you have children? No. Are you going to kill me? That's what you're thinking about, isn't it? Should I? Almost 40 days ago on this very island, I tied a man to a tree and I tortured him. I tortured him as I've tortured many men. Men whose voices I still hear at night. Should you kill me? Maybe you should. Maybe you were meant to. I love Saejira. I love I love Navin Andrews. Mm. I love this scene. I love like this this moment. He's such a tortured character. The I mean, literally, he is, is tortured. Tor- so the tortured torturer. Uh, but this idea of like, should you kill me? Maybe you should. Maybe you were meant to. Uh, it's just so. Oh my god! I really love the dynamic between Anna Lucia and Said, and obviously, I think due to. The myth that uh, Michelle Rodriguez was only on for one season, we didn't see a lot of it. I think the only other time we really broached their connection is with the Henry Gale stuff. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's a, a fairly critical final piece of the of the Anna arc. You know, they're, they are tied together, at least for, for Anna, Sai is a pretty important character. Right, I think I just forgot about it in the larger scheme of things, but I think this is a really important relationship to your point, because I think Saeed, to put it simply, is the only character that Anna can see eye to eye with. Uh, as as someone who puts herself in purposeful solitary, for lack of a better term, you know, the, her entire time on the island and seemingly in her life as sure. well. Yeah. I think in this moment, Said is basically saying, like, I have been through what you have been through. I have felt what you felt. And as someone who is simultaneously pushing away yet desperately seeking connections, she's finally able to find that person in that moment, which is maybe one of the reasons why we'll talk about her ultimate decision uh, not to shoot him. There are so many pauses in this conversation, Josh, which I find interesting between Saeed, you know, not answering the first time when Anna asks where she's where he's from to her really taking this big pause when asked, you know, if she has children. I mean, do you think it's them formulating ideas? Do you think it's them sort of living in their tragedy for those few seconds? Do you think it's more embellished yeah. to build out the drama of the scene? No, I, I think that there's all of that. I think all of that's baked in. I think that these are two like very, very damaged people. And Saeed is very, very rightfully upset. Um, but I think that he's recognizing like, oh, this poor idiot. You know, to some degree, like she's shot my she's shot the love of my life. Yeah. My soulmate, apparently. Uh, and, uh, but she isn't like an evil person. This was a mistake, but I'm furious about it. Uh, so the whole thing is just very messy. Yeah. And I, very messy. And I love her, you know, I mean, this will obviously connect to her taking action with Jason McCormick in the flashback next up, but her finally coming out with the story and right. the word choice is so, so interesting. First, yeah, she says, calling Jason a kid, which obviously, yeah. you know, has impact, uh, in the fact that he did kill her kid. Uh, and specifically this idea that she's making a mistake. Uh, Echo said that she made a mistake. 
Jason McCormack insists that she made a mistake, but I think her saying that she made a mistake, like clearly that type of word is codified in a previous trauma. So like she would never outright say it, even though she did make a mistake, she's never going to say it because last time she said that essentially she got tricked. And so there's, yeah. there's so much baked into that, into that word and into that experience. And to finish the scene with Anna, just telling Saeed, I feel dead is like, it's so deliciously emo but it's also so mm. it's so emblematic of just Anna Lucia is hollow. She will not stay. She will not stay. She, will not, she got shot with hollow yeah, point bullets. She will not stay on the show for some time, to be uh to be honest. But I think that informs a lot of the decisions that she's making that I think she is emotionally driven in this episode. I think, you know, uh her panic and her anxiety causes her to make foolish decisions when it comes yeah. to Saeed. But fundamentally, she is an existential person who doesn't care if the decision she makes ends up in her death. Uh, she's not yeah. particularly suicidal, but she has felt so much dourness and ex- ex- has experienced so much loss in her life that it's sort of it's sort of like you know season one Sawyer a bit of like, hey, if if you killed me right now, I wouldn't care because of the stuff that I've done. Totally, 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 totally. Yeah, and she she you know makes that very clear. She tells Saeed the story of what happened, how she got shot. Uh, and, you know, I thought when I hit the ground, I thought it was dead. I feel dead. And, you know, he's now interested, sort of like in like the Danielle Rousseau mode uh, yeah. of like, what happened to the man? What happened to the person who shot you? And then we get to see it in flashback form. Uh, mercifully for all of you, we will not be playing the sound from this flashback because then you'd have to hear Stained. Come <laughs> oh, yeah. on the outside. <laughs> forgot about that i guess and i'm looking here is that um is that like a, a just a nice quality as to what type of dive bar she's in that they're playing stained what an a-hole what an a-hole stained is for bragging about being on the outside as we're all stuck on the inside what a jerk. do you think jason mccormack put that on the jukebox before he left the bar i think jason mccormack was in stained <laughs> He was like a begrudged or a, like a very angry member who was kicked out of Stained and decided to like start getting into crime as a result. Wow. Is, so is Stained's outside supposed to like refer to what's going on with Anna Lucia? The lyrics to that chorus, of course, uh, all go, a little, go a little something like this. Everybody with... No, just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> DJ, who'd you shoot? DJ, who you shoot? Uh, yeah, so Anna's gonna show. Uh, she's gonna follow Jason outside. Hey, Jason. Jason's like, yeah. And then I don't love the line. I was pregnant, and she shoots him three times, and he like falls like a doof. D- and then she comes back to him and shoots him another three times. I just wish is there a, like a less like pointed way of conveying that information to us, the viewer, maybe. Uh, I I just don't love the. I was pregnant. How would you have felt if she said it? after he sh- she shot him yeah better like it like if it wasn't like a her final words to him it was more so like she's getting this out of her system uh in a yeah. manner of speaking i also think do you, do, don't you think jason would kind of recognize anna considering that would probably be a pretty prolific night for him depends on uh state dependent memory maybe, oh, maybe he's face blind yeah he could be face blind that's right it's possible yeah, that's his spinoff band after he left stained yeah, face blind. Oh my god. Uh, I 
I, I do think one thing about Anna that I really like about this flashback, and I think that this flashback is one of the best examples of this, is you're leaving a character in the flashback story in a place that is very far away yes. from where they are right now on the island. Like, she is remorseless here. Uh, and this is the end of that story of the flashback. And she's so remorseful on the island where she's like, I've done so many things that I regret and feel terror over. And like, especially this latest one that like, I'm just exploding with, with, you know, trauma and tragedy. Uh, like she's so vulnerable and raw in the real time. Uh, and not that she's not raw and vulnerable in ways. Cause she's wearing uh, jeans in the jungle. Uh, not that she's not raw and vulnerable in ways in the past, but she's like wearing, you know, not literal body armor this time, but like, you know, metaphorical, at least she's not letting anybody, let let she's not letting anybody in on the inside. Mm, nobody's coming right? out. Yeah, no one's coming out. <laughs> I'm on the coming out side. <laughs> Maybe that's her like weird owl parody. <laughs> it's so, so dumb. But I think that not only from a psychological perspective do we leave her in a different place, physically we do. And that's one thing that I also feel like these flashbacks do strongly, is I do feel like as strong as episode as season one is. We sort of experience this between Tabula Rasa and whatever the case may be in Born to Run, right? Like, the writers kind of wrote themselves in a corner, putting Kate right before she got on 815. And I feel like them leaving a bit of, for lack of a better term, runway before Anna Lucia gets on the plane allows us to go into two for the road. So it's not right. like they're now being like, oh, crap, we need to write something up for Anna Lucia. We're going to find out exactly how she yeah. got to where she did, and we have room to do that. I think that that's evidence of they had the one season arc for Anna. Yeah. You know, I think like they have a fairly clean story that they want to tell with her in flashback form. And I think like a lot of her journey illustrates um, some of the choices that someone like Michael will make. Uh, so I think that like she serves as a cautionary tale in a lot of ways. Um, we come out of the flashback and she she still can't even like admit what she did to Saeed. She's like nothing. We never found him. Never found the guy. Uh, she cuts him loose uh, like an anchovy. She drops the knife and the gun at his feet and says, go ahead, pick it up. I deserve yeah, it. Yeah, she, she pulls... It's actually very similar to, like, the Michael and Jin from House of the Rising Sun, right? Like, the character menacingly approaches another one with a blade, but it turns out that they're actually freeing them. Mm-hmm. And then she, and yep. then she says, stay away from my wife to Saeed. <laughs> yeah, gives him the watch. I'm going to stay away from my son. Uh, that would not yeah, make any sense. Stay away from my son. Yeah, that would be strange. See, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Uh, but Saeed's not going to do it. He says, what good would it be to kill you if we're both already dead? Uh, and then he goes and he picks up poor Shannon. Very sad. Which, concerned that he's picking up like a physically dead character as well, reflects his own trauma. Because again, he hasn't really talked about it. He hasn't verbalized it. And is it in what Kate did that we finally have the funeral for Shannon? Uh, and so he's going to talk more about it there. But this is someone who has been internalizing his grief because I guess his life has been on the line for the entire episode. But we get a mere glimpse of it here with him reflecting back to Anna like I'm dead on the inside as well, not only because of what I've done in the past, but what you just did to her. Dead on the inside. <laughs> it's like this one song I listened to in a bar. It was called I'm on the coming outside. Uh, all right. So we get into the final montage. Of the weird episode. A.L. Yankovic. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to the final montage of the episode. Uh, I'll play the sound, but at the end of the episode, I think mm -hmm. we, we can close out with this. So we'll, we'll kick the sound number eight until the, the very end of the podcast. Uh, but this is a great ending. Um, as the tribes merge, right? Like we've been talking about how this has sort of been like the, the, the creative drive underneath, uh, getting 
Anna's group and Jack's group together. This is like the two tribes merging on Survivor. Uh, and this is that moment uh, where it's, you know, the the, the begonged tribe, uh, like the, the Matt Singh <laughs> of Lost. You got uh, the tailied. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Matt Singh of Lost is gonna is gonna unite with the the Greater Eight One Five. Is it really, more of like an oolong really situation? Oh yeah, do they just get absorbed? Mm, and I guess is Bernard the Stephanie Lacrosa? Yeah, Bernard like, is the. <laughs> and we have we have t- uh, someone with two names: Anna Lucia, Bobby John. They're they're sort of ah, like the last two to go. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. This is good. Yeah. I think that the tailies are the oolong of Lost. Oh my God. I think that's better. I love this. Yeah, that's better. Um, but yeah, that's this better. is a, so it's so interesting. The musical choice is, uh, it seems like, I believe, uh, I don't think Jim Fels talks about this in a video, but I believe they play like a super slow down, sadder version of the Raft Launch theme. Yes. Which yes, I think is yes. such a good choice because it is such like, it's the sad reprise, right? In a musical of like, this is, was the, hopeful they're going out to find rescue and now they come back defeated knowing that they ultimately failed and it is happy at the end of the day because we see these beautiful reunions of these couples but also know that they fundamentally failed in their mission and that things have a much more dour outlook to them also because shannon's dead yeah shannon's dead and like there's that really great moment at the end of the episode where echo takes jack through the jungle and Saeed with Shannon in his arms walks past Jack and they're making like this sad eye contact and the music is very beautiful when Jack and Anna lock eyes. And I think like, you know, like, okay, so Anna doesn't have like massive impact on Lost in the long haul and really doesn't have massive impact on Jack in the long haul. But if we're trying to think about like all of the tiny dominoes that have to get hit in order to get Jack to the place he needs to be by the end of the show, I do think that this is one of them in the same way that like seeing Desmond was one, uh, where like this is somebody who like uh, I certainly would never have expected to see in this circumstance. Maybe I am supposed to be here. No, got to push that thought away. Uh, here's Anna, who is somebody who's like, in his mind associated with uh you know the 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 world that he left behind and that world that he left behind is very closely associated with like the death of his dad that's still really weighing on him um so to see anna is still alive i think probably opens something up for him um so there's just sort of like this uh this profound sadness over the whole montage uh even though like you say there are these joyful reunions baked into it bernard and rose getting back oh. together is such a great moment and fun, oh fun my fact God. apparently L. Scott Caldwell and Sam Anderson purposely, whether it was their choice or the director's choice, they that's this was their first time meeting. Oh, that's great. In the scene. Because they wanted to make their meeting, you know, not seem fabricated. So even though they are approaching each other, having not known each other despite playing a married couple, like it's a genuine moment for them to see each other for the first time. And God, I love this. I love Bernard pushing people aside to see her. Like it just my heart just welled up. And of course, Seeing the Quan Union, seeing Jin oh, yeah. and Sun come back together. Sun even does like a flat out double take when she sees him, and they hold each other so tenderly. Like, oh god! It, and they they definitely go to to the Bone Zone that night, right? You like, imagine because, so. I mean, it's it's pretty soon after because that's when uh yeah. we're gonna get into DOC or COD or whatever the I, hell it is. In, in season, I think three. that's season three, but we're gonna get into we're gonna get into uh, one of I think the whole truth maybe is mm. this one. But yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a beautiful. Beautiful reunion, especially considering all the events of Ooh and Found, where Sun yeah. didn't know if Jim was going to come back, and Sun was so adamant about seeing Sun and that he was going to find her. Like they finally accomplished that mission. It made me also very happy that like we hadn't kept him separated for the entire season, like we are mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, this only took eight episodes, 
but I love, love, love just the final shot. And you mentioned this of Anna and Jack sort of staring each other down. Anna's look looks fundamentally different, though, from the stare down at the end of Abandoned, where that was sort of like blinders on, hard focus. This was so soft and vulnerable. But I love... Soft. Yeah, exactly. But I love the physical distance between the two and and to frame it in a two shot as well. Because let's remember that the first time they met was in such close proximity. They were sitting next to each other in the bar, Josh. They did not practice social distancing on the way to the plane. Uh, And I think that seeing them so fundamentally separated is just a great physicalization of how far these two characters have come. And we talk about the parallels and divergences in them as leaders, and we see the latter here. Uh, They're even on different levels, quite literally, both geographically and emotionally, as to what they've had to deal with, how they've handled things. And these are two characters that can sort of see eye to eye and that they have shared experiences as leaders on the island here, but they approach it in such fundamentally different ways that they have so much distance between them. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a, I, I really actually really like this episode. Uh, I, I would never deign to say that this is like an elite episode of Lost, but I think that this is like a great episode of Lost and maybe uh, forgotten a little bit in uh, in Lost lore. I think that this is one of my favorites that we've encountered in season two so far. Uh, and just going through the recap again uh, only highlighted that for me. Um, let's get into the others. Let's get into some feedback from folks. Uh, and let's also get into some of the behind the scenes details from the great Ben behind the curtain, who, as we pointed out at the top of the podcast, points out here that this is uh, Javier Griomarks Watch's final writing credit um, for Lost is Collision. Oh, let's um, let's, let's was- sing a song in his honor. I'm on the outside of the writer's room. <laughs> of the writer's room. And I'm looking here on... Uh, he, he leaves, uh, with, uh, Collision is his last writing credit, but he leaves at the end of season two, uh, in The Lost Will and Testament, which again, if you have not read, you really, really should go and read just a great accounting of the first couple of seasons of Lost and the creation of this show. Uh, he highlights how things just changed a little bit in the onset of season two, uh, that like the, the, the methods of, of the show being made went from uh, what he calls the romantic spirit of brilliance from chaos that char- characterized the first season to something that was more organized, uh, that became more Darleton, that mm. became more Damon and Carlton breaking writers to to work on scripts uh, so that they could have more of, uh, of a handle on the overall story. And as somebody who was uh, the, one of the last original members of that uh, core original writing team still in the room, uh, this just did not work with with uh, Javier, according to his accounting of uh, things. Uh, he says uh, it's uh, I think he says, uh, generally, I wouldn't find any of it particularly disagreeable, but something about the application of these new workflows in the context of Lost changed my relationship with the show irrevocably. Um, he stays on through the end of season two to help like Shepard, like he's doing the Lost experience. He's doing mm. the ARG. So he's, uh, you know, rendering services. Uh, and he also says um, that his very final contribution to Lost is something that we don't know. Uh, he says that uh, he was on the payroll still uh, as the writers were convening for uh, prep for season three. And Javier pitched something to Damon. Uh, and then later on, he came to find out that it was used for the future of the show. Mm. Uh, but he refuses to say what it is. That makes it be a- very clear it was Locke the Pot Farmer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say what it is. It was Stranger in a Strange yeah. Land. No, I thought Jack would be funny if we found out Jack's weird Asian tattoos. Yeah, yeah it was Bai Ling. You should cast I Bai thought Ling. we should cast two characters who claim they've been in the background <laughs> the entire time. 
Uh, but yeah, so uh, you should read his full accounting if you have, and it's it's really really great. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting also sort of representation of you know. I think the transition in the writer's room is understandable. It sort of is like what happens when you have a plucky startup that then once it starts funding and really gets its feet off the ground, then it's sort of once it has money, now it becomes a bit more siloed, you know, a bit more stratified, a bit more of a straightforward workflow. And I can understand from an artistic perspective as someone who would rather work in like the quick and dirty chaos of the OG writer's room that's less alluring to a person. Yeah, but also like, you know, uh, Damon is a young showrunner. He's a new showrunner here. And uh, I think like the the toll that that takes on him as a human being is pretty clearly uh, charted. We've talked about that over the course of our season one conversations. Um, and like, I think at a certain point, a show like this needs to be like well organized. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it needs to be well yeah, you run. You can't be building the um, plane as it flies. So, like, from that perspective, it makes all the sense of the world that things get organized the way that they do. Uh, and from Javier's perspective, it makes all the sense of the world why uh, it would not be as appealing to him anymore. Um, so, I think it it all makes sense. Uh, let's keep going. Apparently, uh, Collision uh, had, like, a fake-out title and a fake-out uh, description Whoa! of the episode. Whoa! Bait yeah, this is from Ben, and he cites the thetailsection.com. Uh, he says, The episode was in some sources given the title Old Habits, and this can still be seen in some reviews from the time. In addition, there were rumors that the episode would be Charlie-centric, mm. and that the discovery of a dead body would lead to a recurrence of him using heroin. While it has never been confirmed, some have suggested there was an intent to misdirect people from thinking that Shannon was going to be the character who died, and perhaps hoping people would guess Claire instead. The early leaked synopsis was as follows. The search for a missing castaway ends in tragedy when the castaway is found dead. The person that finds the body is blamed for the death by Jack, who again finds a way to shift partial blame on Locke. Uh, that definitely does sound like an alternate Lost episode. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like they're just... Ba- Especially Jack <laughs> shifting partial yeah, blame on Yeah, they're Locke. sort of like hitting the beats of season two of Lost. I would imagine the dead castaway is probably like Steve, though. Like, I don't know if it would be a major mm. character. I don't know if you open an episode with a dead Claire, you know? Yeah, Steve is no longer a leave. Exactly. Uh, He's, he gets to join Scott in, in the yeah. Valley Beyond. All right, uh, feedback from, from the folks. This is from Andre the Meat Man. Uh, who does not like the way that Anna Lucia has been received amongst the feedback in the podcast so far, says on, uh, says Ander. He's referring to the incoming correspondence. Uh, so this is, uh, this is from Ander. He wants to defend Anna Lucia's honor. Uh, this is what he writes. Uh, planned or not, Michelle Rodriguez's departure from the show in a dozen or so episodes time marks one of the great what could have been moments in the show. How can you describe this character as anything other than utterly compelling? As of right now, I'm struggling to think of a single moment on her time in the show where Anna Lucia held any less than the complete focus of the audience. Yes, the character is tough, harsh, and angry, but how can one expect anything else from her? People typically become police officers secondary to a pursuit of fairness, and her life had been anything but. She goes through huge challenges to prove herself, a personal tragedy that the term PTSD doesn't even begin to cover, a definitive step into the dark abyss, Anger, fear, a life falling apart, characterized by a loss of role and identity. And then on top of it all, her time on the island is characterized by being hunted and picked off one by one. And while it isn't on her, as both the leader and a former police officer, how could she possibly see it any other way? Me personally, says Ander, I love Anna Lucia. And like Josh, I'm finding that one can only appreciate the character more with every rewatch. 
I hope our down the hatchings can cut her some slack and enjoy the limited time we have left with what is by far the most utterly tragic character on the show. Hmm. I, I, I think that last bit is hyperbolic for me, but I, I'm on board with everything. Yeah, else no, I, I agree. That. I like the character breakdown. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to do like a tragic off of these characters. I think we can certainly... We could rank them in terms of tragedy, but it's really going to be like like a 10-way tie for first. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that if, if you're looking at like five seasons of John Locke versus like a, a season of Anna Lucia, considering yeah. just the number of events that happen in Locke's life, uh, I might put him number one, but I think that Ander makes some good points about how interesting she is as a character. I think, unfortunately, because she is such a traumatized character, that manifests itself in behavior that isn't positive. And I yeah. think at the time why a lot of people were really not happy with the character is because we just saw so much of that behavior. There weren't yeah. a lot of moments for Anna Lucia to be warm because this is something that profoundly affects her. I feel like if I may be like uh, casting an umbrella here, I do feel like a character like Anna Lucia can be more appreciated nowadays in the age of the anti-hero, uh, in the age of characters doing much more morally ambiguous things and really being tested and you know being much more traumatized and figuring out things from there. We're we're into I think messier TV characters nowadays, whereas maybe back in those days, I think characters that we saw on Lost were more off the beaten path than those that were sort of packaged into neat little uh, elevator pitches we can make on them in a series Bible entry. So I wonder if almost like a character like Anna Lucia was ahead of her time and a character that really does bristle in a lot of the times we see her on the island, but we realize that that comes out of so much that has happened in her past. And it gives you a different appreciation for the way that she does behave and getting into her head psychologically. A lot of people had thoughts on Anna this week, unsurprisingly. Trevor Roberts uh, I'd love to know if I'm the only one who relates to the Anna Lucias and Charlie Paces of the world more so than the other characters who wants to start a broken toy alliance. Uh, I got a lot of broken action figures from my youth, Trevor. I can contribute to the Were alliance. Were you like an Anna Lucia and you tried to like, I don't know, rip them apart in your rage? Uh, I, I tried to like uh, do like lots of uh, customization. I was going to say, did you figures. try to like put, you know... Uh, Co- I was very good at it with G.I. Joe's. On, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I made a lot of like my own G.I. Joe's by swapping body parts. You just had to like unscrew you the back monster. and like take out the you had to take out the, the rubber band and you just like bought you know put them around. I was making my own characters. I had a great time with them. I suppose uh, so, but what are you doing to those people? I made Epsilon Squad. Ooh. That was the name. That's the name of the crew that I they were, they were my boys, Epsilon. Squad. Is that like the the A team though? Like are they, you know, whatever number down on the rankings if we're going by Greek letters? Uh maybe, but they had cool uh outfits. They had like purple camouflage, night camouflage. They looked cool. Uh, do you think, uh, do you think put, purple would I took work off, at night? I took uh Bosk's head off, the the mercenary, the bounty hunter Bosk from Star Wars. I took his head off. Oh, so you were doing like cross branding at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I did. I I still have them. They're in my office. Ooh, okay. Uh, I'll send you a picture. I would love. Yes, I would love to personally see the the customized characters that you came up with. Maybe yeah. we can put them in the next Lost Brain Steel. Let me know if you guys want to see Epsilon Squad. I'll 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 send you a pic. Uh, I'm very proud of Epsilon. Well, Squad. yeah, we I have we have the A team, and I guess should we call like the C plotters of every episode like Epsilon Squad in terms of just Epsilon how Squad. on the they are. Yeah. Epsilon Squad Assemble. Uh, but yes, Trevor, I, I think we definitely, uh, Mike and I relate to the Broken Toys for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only need to misfit toys. 
Now I want to miss with toys. Jim Fells, the great Jim Fells. Uh, is this episode ultimately about the live together, die alone mantra? Mike, what do you think, Big Mike? <laughs> oh, interesting. I mean, we talked about Anna Lucia's motto is just like die alone, live alone, be alone, <laughs> blank alone, verb alone. alone. Exactly, verb alone. <laughs> Uh, so I yeah. guess it is sort of like, I mean, again, that final shot just sort of represents the discrepancy between the two mantras and how she fundamentally pushes people away by acting so, you know, on the outside. I guess it, maybe it does show how, like, Looking connections in. can fundamentally save us and that Anna has become so just emotionally detached from everything because she didn't have somebody to connect with. And maybe that brings even more meaning to, like, her moment with Saeed where she finds someone who she can finally connect with. She's been grasping for a hand, feeling like she's been drowning for however many days of her life. And finally someone reached into the surface of the water and grabbed her. And now she can breathe again. Um, Stefan Johnson. What did Anna think was going to happen after she shot Jason? The dude confessed. Doesn't take a cop to know she was the one who killed him. Well, Stefan, I guess she's going to go to Australia. Uh, And also she's going to say, hey, mom, could you cover this up? And that seemed like that worked. Well, yeah, I was wondering about that because I had read, like, misleading stuff because I think in between Two for the Road and this episode, obviously she's not a cop anymore, but I can't remember if she said she left on her own volition or if Teresa Cortez, like, dismissed her. I mean, otherwise what she did was illegal because it was murder. Uh, I mean, I guess... Well, you just said that like Adam Klein says marriage. Murder! It was murder! But I'm using hand signals where one person is shooting the other. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean... It, it's I I do wonder if obviously she fled the country for many many reasons. I also wonder like maybe she hid the body or did she just make it look like someone shot Jason? Right, because the ballistics could be connected back to her gun too. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. Her nepotism got her out of this one once again. Caught her in a nepotism. Caught in a nepotism. Uh, John Kraus uh, wants to posit, because uh, I think that he's sensed what we've been putting down. It's like, do the tailies matter? Does any of this stuff matter? Because uh, the tailies are not going to be long for this world. Uh, and John believes the answer to that question is a resounding yes. This is what John writes. I've long been a proponent that the characters and stories are more important to Lost than advancing the plot and solving the mysteries. The tailies' presence on the show creates great character moments and allows the writers to tell interesting stories. Anna's a great foil to Jack in terms of what kind of leader he could have been. Echo's a great foil to John in terms of how both interpret faith and destiny. Echo and Charlie have an arc. Libby and Hurley is my favorite couple on the show. Anna is also a great foil to Saeed in terms of how they cope with guilt and loss. These are uh, these are some of the better stories Lost tells, and we wouldn't get them without the tailies. Interesting. Again, maybe I'll take a point from Andre and say, like, I don't know if, if I would... Uh, give a thumbs up on the last statement. These are the better stories that Lost can tell us in the series history. But I do see his point that if you're looking for the forest for the trees, as I think is the onus of this entire podcast, right? It's to Forest fo- Whitaker for the exactly, trees. Exactly, which is to focus less on the the larger, you know, sense of what each and everything means in solving the greater mystery and more so about the friends we made along the way. Uh, I think that it does give us more of a fundamental appreciation for the tailies, as short-lived as it may be. I think it'll just be a very interesting experiment when the show invariably changes and has a focus after, uh, you know, that hiatus during season three and they get an end game plan in motion. Like how much, how much is Hurley, for example, changed by a character like Libby? So it's less so about like the immediate repercussions and more so I think maybe what we're getting around is like for the long term arcs of these characters, how do meeting these other characters fundamentally play into who they become? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that there's good stories being told here, yeah. but, but but I I and you know bad lost is good is better than most TV for me. So like even the stuff that I like the least, I'm gonna like you know to some extent. Um, so you know I'm not like bashing the tailies, but it's a relative scale. Uh, I think that there's good stuff that's being told here, and we're trying to focus on that yeah. stuff. But uh, I do think like you know, some of the best stories lost tells it. I, I honestly Maybe think to John's point, I think personally for me. It's t- it's going to be tough for me to approach like the do the tailies matter conversation until we get into season three. Like I think right. we should be on the outside of the situation, looking in, uh, yes. and then be able to assess like okay, in the grand scheme of things, how much do we feel like this fundamentally affected our eight fifteen crew? Yeah, we just got to keep going with that stuff. Um, some stuff about the reunion. First of all, Ben Martell wants us to know what was the best reunion. Was it Rose and Bernard, Son and Jin, or Michael and Vincent? <laughs> Michael and Vincent is cute. Clearly, Michael and also, Vincent. Also, poor right? Vincent like lost his owner his defunct owner he's definitely thirsty dog and i don't know how many maybe people are giving him that grody water from that trash bag well yeah it's not working out well i think uh rose and bernard just because it's so long awaited right and i think that's something that like it's something that rose has been really hoping for Jin and son obviously we have more knowledge of them we saw them meet a few episodes ago so i think that's beautiful but like it is something cool and new to see two characters who have such a history that we don't know about at this point come together in such yeah. an emotional way yeah, but Eric Divestein has a great point that uh, defangs the Sun and Jin reunion a little bit to me. Uh, Eric says, so Sun learned that Jin was nearby and then just went back to doing laundry? I guess the question is, like, I don't know. Yeah, how did I? It'd be interesting. I would love to follow Sun emotionally after Michael comes back and is like, hey, Jin's fine. Is she thinking, like, okay, is he coming here at some point? Should mm-hmm. I go meet him? Is this like a meet me in the middle situation? Mm hmm. <laughs> maybe she maybe yeah. she's doing laundry to sort of like i don't know take her mind off of things because she's waiting until he shows back up yeah i don't know uh yeah i guess at this point it's like i shouldn't run into the jungle shannon just died doing exactly that. she's also probably pretty sad shannon's dead didn't they used to go for walk yeah they were part of the bottle crew uh-huh yeah uh let's look back at the other 48 days uh some feedback that we've got um from that john Krause once again uh despite the fact that anna is right her conclusion that goodwin is an other is sort of flimsy you weren't wet. Neither was Bernard. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Maybe, I mean, Goodwin never said, at least on screen, where he came from, right? He never yeah. he didn't give a story of like, I woke up in the middle of the jungle and there were white tennis shoes in the trees. And then I ran out to the beach. No, he doesn't really give an accounting. So maybe that's also uh, the, just the fact that he didn't say anything about it. Because you can imagine that like, they're probably all swapping stories in those first few days, right? As to like, I got knocked out by this suitcase, or I was in the bathroom and I sat down in this empty seat that kind of smelled like heroin. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's not a lot of that. I mean, everyone kind of has the same story except for Bernard here. It's like, we woke up in the water. Um, from Megan Cherry, uh, who is a registered nurse and is answering our call for expertise, Donald didn't stand a chance, she says, without antibiotics and blood thinners. Mm. When you break a bone like he did, a big bone like he did, you have to set it quickly or there will be blood supply issues and your leg will die also, when you break a big bone, there's a high risk of getting a fat or blood clot that will travel to your heart, lungs, or brain. Most likely, he died from sepsis. Once again, there's that word, from infection, from the open fracture. It's probably not Libby's fault. So, actually, in this case, I think if Jack and Anno had switched places, I think he cuts off that leg ASAP. Yeah, maybe Donald makes it. So, the chance that he had is he was just seated on the wrong... He should have uh, shelled out money for a uh, better seat on the yeah, plane. Yeah, he would have just lost a leg instead of his life. 
Yeah. Though I though I think Anna Lucia probably would have left one legged Donald behind, being like, "You're slowing us down, Donald." Um, all right, final one. Uh, Amy LaRue uh, in in self isolation right now has uh, taken to to hatch and crafts. Uh, Amy LaRue uh, on Twitter, you should you should check this out. Uh, has created a down the hatch uh, wine glass. Mm. It's a lo- it's a Dharma logo with down the hatch in the middle. Amy LaRue, when we all get out of here. Let's talk. Let's yes. put that on something because uh, that's amazing. I love it because it's you know represents so many different things. Just like lost drinks Drive. on me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nice yeah. like it's it's not black or white. It's a nice for lack oh, of a better great. term rose color. Uh, a rosé. Yeah, exactly. Bernard it's, and rosé using multiple fonts as well. So I think oh, it's it, very I, nice, it's beautifully done, and I'm glad you know it's able to to serve some time to make us all a little more sane during these difficult times. But thumbs up um, to you, Amy. Yeah. Uh, how, how about any music analysis from Jim Fells this week? Anything you want to highlight? Here's a fun one. So, Anna Lucia obviously gets a leitmotif in this episode. But Josh, did you know Anna Lucia's leitmotif is Shannon and Boone's theme? Whoa! So it's passed off. It's contagious. It makes its way from Shannon's body into Anna Lucia's. Oh, God. Oh, no. No, but there's there's no. a, there's a couple of other fun things as well. There's like an arming up theme that happens when Jack gets arming up. Yeah, where Jack gets ready to lock and load, and we're gonna get this uh, during. Uh, there's no place like home. We're gonna get it during cabin fever. We're also gonna get a bit during like the hunting party, which is more of a symbol of like you're in enemy lines now. There's also a Michael runs theme as we talked about with him running into sun. That's actually gonna p- pop up later in this season when Kate and Jack find him in the middle of the jungle after SOS. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah, that that Anna Lucia Shannon and Boone transfer in terms of music uh, is crazy. Yeah, well, she was doomed. She didn't yeah, exactly. She got she got point. tagged. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into the twenty three points, the MVPs, the LVPs. Mike, you've got three MVP points to give out. I've got two. I've got three LVPs, and you've got two. Uh, who do you want to? What do you want to do? How do you want to do? This? Let's start with Mister Echo. Uh, I yeah, know that course. it's an Anna Lucia episode. She does a lot of complicated things here, so we'll we'll sort of talk about it. But I feel like Mr. Echo defying her sort of crazy orders and saving Sawyer's life, essentially, should be well commended. He also meets Locke. He's able to calm down Jack and ultimately bring Jack to meet Anna Lucia. So yet another great episode for Echo here. Let's continue the streak. All right. I'm going to give it to, to Michael. Uh, not Big Mike, but to, to Michael Dawson who uh, I think uh, he steps up to the plate here. He's like had it up to here with Anna Lucia. He's going to stand up and he's actually like going to, going to help Saeed. He's going to make record time getting back. He's going to be able to get everybody on the radar of what's going on. I think Michael does a good job this week. uh, And uh, we probably should give him points while we can. Yeah. I think that Michael has served a really interesting role with the tailies where like echo is sort of like the silent defier, but Michael is very vocal about how much he just questions Anna Lucia's leadership. And I think he serves a really interesting role. We talked about this in uh, in Abandoned, when he was like, whoa, 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 we need to take Sawyer with us. What the hell are you talking about? So I like him serving as that voice of reason, considering he'll also come up against Anna Lucia in a very different way much later on in the season. Uh, I'm going to give a point to uh, another MVP leader. Give me a uh, Saeed Jarrah here, uh, just because of, you know, it's a little bit of sympathy considering what he had to go through but also the fact that he is able to sort of talk himself out of being tortured by Anna Lucia, and he's able to fundamentally connect with a character who has not been able to connect with anybody else. This is one of those times where I'm going to give a, a point for performance. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit of a pity point. I am going to give Anna Lucia a point here. That's I mean, yeah. she, she does so much wrong. 
<laughs> but she's gone through so much. And I think, I think that the episode does an underrated job of grounding you in where she's coming from. And I think with like the history of the other 48 days coming into this episode too, especially, um, I think, uh, you now really kind of have a pretty good sense of who she is and why she is the way she is. And so for, for that like story pressure release uh, of it all, I, and Michelle Rodriguez, I think being really, really good in the part, um, I think it's, it's worth a point. Uh, I suspect that she will steady out. (laughs) (laughs) I think that you may, you may uh, take that point away if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, but I'll, I'll finish <laughs> off the MVPs here because I'm going to finally give an MVP point to Law and Order because it has earned our ire quite a couple of times here. But I'll admit, yes, Teresa Cortez maybe shouldn't have put in, put uh, her daughter back on the force so quickly after her trauma. But like they catch Jason McCormick again, uh, you know they're they're able to go through the steps that they should, and Lucia sort of derails that. And also, I'm going to like tie this into Big Mike. Uh, since he is a part of Law and Order, maybe just to sort of not give a bunch of random points to people like we did last week. I'll I'll acknowledge the LAPD on this one. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Sounds like you disapprove. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Rags, who's the guy who keeps showing up. He's like Anna. We got don't it. rag on uh, Rags, Josh. I mean, I would fi- I'd be fine with a point for Big Mike, but I don't know about Law and Order as a full thing, but. You do you. They boo-boo. catch Jason Don't McCormick. Let me yuck they, your ca- yum. they catch the guy that Anna Lucia wants. I feel like that deserves comm- commendation. They held a surprise yeah. party for her. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. All right, but then they spoiled the surprise, so it wasn't even really a surprise. So I'll I'll get my uh, my LVP points out of the way because one of them is going to Anna Lucia, just because I completely understand. I think the episode does a great job to your point of really having us understand the character. That being said, she does hold her entire party at gunpoint mm-hmm. for yeah, quite for some sure. time, and she does. She absolutely, she absolutely deserves an LVP. Yeah, point. she does. No she, ties, she ties a grieving man against a <laughs> yeah. tree for a good portion of the it's day. It's not good. It's not good. And I'll throw not my good. other point onto Jason McCormick. Yeah, and let me just dump my three onto Jason McCormick. Wow, I hate that guy. The Sabrina treatment uh, for Jason McCormick. Jason McCormick is the Scott Tennerman of. <laughs> uh, of Lost. Ooh, so you think uh, Anna, instead of shooting Jason McCormick, should have killed his parents and fed them to yeah, him and fed them at the to bar. Him chili. Yeah. Or killed the other I members of Stained. made you eat your parents. Made you eat your parents. Oh, your tears taste so good, Jason McCormick. Uh, Jason McCormick. Uh, all right. So Echo is gonna is gonna continue his progression through season two as the MVP leader here. He is at seven right now. Uh, Saeed at four. Anna Lucia stabilizes at three because things don't really move one way or the other for her this week. Uh, and uh, she's tied with Kate right now. So that's our top three. Uh, and I think Kate. We'll see. We'll see next week. Yeah, this is uh, a Kate flashback did. episode, which is notoriously never good for her LVP rankings. Yeah, we'll see what that's going to do. Jason McCormick is bombed uh, in this group of uh, we've got some great uh, newcomers to the LVPs uh, from season two. Uh, fiance douche is only at a negative three, but there is a three way tie for the bottom with Mr. Kim, who is Jin's boss at the hotel with negative four. Sabrina Carlisle has negative four. And now so too does Jason and Susan. McCormick. And uh, Susan has negative four too. Oh my well, god! That's that's total. That's cute. Well, she has though. she has negative four total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's negative. Two yeah, they still the they, these characters are still not scraping the bottom of Anthony Cooper and Randy Nations, but yeah. they still deserve like full acknowledgement. They of deserve how bad where they, they are. are. Absolutely. All right, let's get into the four point two stars. Let's rank the episode from a scale of zero to four point two. 
I will go first. Uh, I'm going to give Collision a 3.4. I think that this is a really good episode of Lost. Uh, it's a much better episode than I remembered mm. it. I like I I don't have the fondest memories of this arc of Lost, um, and I actually found myself enjoying it a lot more this go around um, than than I anticipated. I was kind of weary coming into talking about Abandoned and then going into the other 48 days and then coming into Collision, that this was just going to feel like a lot of the same thing, circling the drain of the same conversation over and over again. I'm actually really delighted with how this has all gone. Uh, so give it a 3.4. I think it's a good score. Uh, maybe even a little bit lower than I want to give it, but I'm just going to rein it in and say a 3.4 is where I'm standing. Well, I'm letting the black horse loose, Josh, because uh, I'm going with a 3.6 for okay. Collision. I think it's one of those things that just the more we talked it out, I just think... This is one of those lost episodes that I think is just a fascinating fundamental character mm-hmm. study. Uh, I yeah. think that it really gave us say what you want to about Anna Lucia's general portrayal on the show, but I think this is weird to say it's her best look, but I think it's the most understanding look at her character. I do still feel like the first episode is not the strongest, but I feel like the second half is real gangbusters. Uh, I love everything with Sawyer and Anna Lucia. I love just Echo combining with all the forces of Eight One Five, and it has this beautiful wordless montage to end the episode and it feels like it's been a while since we've seen that and i love seeing those parts of lost so i'm higher on this episode than i have been on you know i originally put it as a 3.2 but i think i like this episode more than ooh and found and everybody hates hugo i think the the high highs outweigh it so it's a 3.6 for me our listeners same level as you gave it a 3.4 that averages out to a 3.48 which makes it number four what a number Number on our episode list so far that's the amount of times that Jason McCormick shot Anna Lucia. Yeah, that's very true. And Anna Lucia upped him by two after that. Yeah. I'm gonna make you eat your parents. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so that's it. So Collision is the fourth best episode of season two so far. Uh, those rankings are Man of Science, Man of Faith, Orientation, The Other 48 Days, Collision, Ooh, and Found, Everybody Hates Hugo, Abandoned, and Adrift. Uh, next week, Mike. We are talking about what Kate did. Finally getting there. We finally, it's in the title. We finally find out what she did. Marshall Mars is coming back. We get to meet her sort of dad, but not real dad. We get to meet both her dads. My two dads. Kate version is happening on the island. We get the, uh, the other splice of the orientation footage. And Kate sees a horse and also thinks yeah. that her abusive step, her abusive father uh, has possessed, has possessed Sawyer. Sawyer, which is interesting. And then she and Jack are going to make out. Yeah, it's an interesting episode for Kate. First kiss, FK. Yeah, nothing like come, a good old FK. Uh, I don't remember the circumstances behind it. It will not be as hot and heavy as the aforementioned caught in a net, but it's yeah. another Kate episode. We have talked about whatever the case may be in Born to Run. I think they need a, a hit. At this point, and we shall see if it's at least a little a single, you know. And we'll find out. Uh, I think, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, we, listen, uh, we said we'll the talk- same thing last week, and it defied our expectations. I know. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll talk we about what put, Kate let's did. Let's put the gonna, cart before the horse. Yes, it's going to drop in your feed uh, March twenty seventh. So get us your feedback for what Kate did. Uh, Mike and I are also conspiring to to get you a bonus down the hatch podcast episode before then so keep an eye on your feed hopefully that comes together no guarantees but we are working on it uh we want to keep you guys occupied uh if you got any questions comments whatever you know how to send it to us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com also on twitter at round howard at a mike bloom type at postshowrecaps speaking of at postshowrecaps 
Uh, and speaking of trying to keep you occupied, we are doing our best in that <laughs> regard. We've got two Westworld podcasts a week right now. We've got the recap with myself and Joe Garfine. Uh, we also have a bonus podcast coming your way very soon between myself and Christian Hubicki, taking feedback from the listeners, talking about the premiere, but also just talking about Westworld and robotics in general. I think that's going to be very fun. We'll probably sneak in some survivor chatter in there as well. Uh, Better Call Saul podcast is still happening with myself and Antonio Mazzaro. The Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast, we've got one more episode left uh, with myself, Mr. Rob Sesternino and Akiva. Uh, and Mike, I know you and Jessica Lease are going full steam ahead. Warp speed ahead on Star Trek Picard and Jess and I have uh, been going uh, full steam ahead on The Walking Dead as well. Uh, so just a, a massive amount of podcasts on post-show recaps right now for you to listen to uh, as uh, as time allows, uh, as your interests allow, as uh, your, your uh, all of our complicated lives allow. You've got options. So uh, enjoy what's out there as much or as little as you want, but it's out there waiting for you if you want. Absolutely. Listen, it's peak time to watch Bald Men on TV and have subsequent <laughs> podcasts talking about it. Yeah. We'll be reaching a little bit of a an end to bald television between Curb ending next week and Picard ending in two weeks. We got to savor yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, good thing we've got a weekly dose of bald John Locke in our future. Um, stay safe, everybody. Be good. Be good to each other. Be good to yourselves, uh, as importantly as anything. Uh, we will keep uh, keep chugging along on the Down the Hatch beat for you uh, as long as we are able. Uh, and so that is coming your way next. Uh, hopefully some bonus podcasting, but certainly what Kate did will be back next week. And now let's close out. We promised it before. Sound number eight. Just uh, one really wonderful Giacchino montage score piece to, to ease you off. Uh, away from this weekly dose of loss. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.
I can see through 